welcome back to Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast. We don't usually introduce it that way, but I did anyway because I forget what podcast I'm hosting every single day. We are delighted <laughs> to be back once again for another episode. We've had an episode off to doing some random crap about floating heads and erections and stuff like that, but we're back <laughs> into the things that we do best. Pretend to talk over Bond movies and try and stay on topic because it's a commentary. That's what we're here for. You know that. You clicked on the episode. And if you didn't and you're automatically subscribed and it just popped up and you're listening to it, we're sorry. Maybe go download that Tower one because it's probably more entertaining. Uh, we are excited today to be able to commentate over Tomorrow Never Dies, the final Pierce Brosnan movie that we are actually commentating over Joining George Lazenby as the only Bond actor, we have commentated <laughs> all of the episodes with. Uh, it's exciting. I'm a bit sad that we're not doing this in person because apparently uh, 50% of Pierce Brosnan movies, we tend to do commentaries in person. The others, we sit in our various rooms of whatever house we're in and we have a country we're in. Country. Anyway, kind of, yes. Uh, my name is Ben and I still sleep with a microphone under my pillow. And my name is Colin, and I always was a cunning linguist. <laughs> you want to say that again? Lingu- 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 ling- uh, cutting ling- lingu- linguist. Cutting, ling- cutting linguist. Cutting linguist. Isn't that a type of pasta? Cutting link. No. Cutting linguist. Yes. Um, cutting linguist with meat sauce. <laughs> Yum. I want meat sauce. Um, just ignore me in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. I'm just like apparently knocking over pen holders and everything's going everywhere. But hey, cool. This episode's <laughs> off to a good start. Um, tomorrow, never dies, Colin. John Tenney had a dream that yes. we would commentate yeah. this again. <laughs> um, now, I recently, I've said this plenty of times on the show recently, but I've gone back and listened to a bunch of our old episodes because apparently I love myself that much that I need to hear how funny I was at some point. And I have to say that listening to the Tomorrow Never Dies episode was a great experience. It was a fun time doing that episode <laughs> from John Tenney having a dream to Dick Stamper. Um, <laughs> do you have many memories of our Tomorrow Never Dies recap episode from several years ago now? I only remember our John Tinney had a dream thing, um, but I remember it being a very small part of the episode. And then when the best of came out uh, a couple of months ago and I was listening to it, I'm like, man, Tomorrow Never Dies, we were on fire. Like, let's do Tomorrow Never Dies again. Why don't we do a commentary on it? We'll be on fire all over again. Yes. And that's why we chose to do this. It had nothing to do with a random number generator. <laughs> it was simply like, hey, remember how funny we were in that episode? Um yeah, but I, I I love this movie. I love all Pierce Brosnan movies. We've established that. But it's weird because I think we talked a lot about how we did Die Another Day in person. But then did we forget that we did Goldeneye in person? Because when I actually listened to that commentary, I'm like, hey, that's right. I was at Colin's house for that one. Yeah, it, I actually I remember the Die Another Day one just because of Casper crying through the whole thing. But it's the same thing with me. I forgot the Goldeneye thing. And when I was sort of looking, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can visualize where I was often when I do certain things. Like I go back to old episode where I remember sitting in this room. I remember sitting here and I'm like, wait a second. I remember sitting on my couch. Why would I have been sitting on my couch doing a commentary? That's right. Ben was there. So <laughs> um, visually, I remember it. I'm that memorable. Clearly, when I go to somebody's house. And then we, we lost our women. Yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and didn't we split it? We split it over two days as well, I think, from memory. I think we had to, like, pause it on one mm-hmm. day and then come back and do it again. The funny thing is, too, and I talked to you about this uh, in the last couple of weeks, in listening to these commentaries, 
at the end of one of these episodes, we actually drew that we were doing Spectre. I'm pretty sure it was at the end of that GoldenEye episode. We were like, okay, finally we will do Spectre because we it had been drawn a couple of times and we kind of avoided it because we are like, hey, we've covered this movie so much, we'll, we'll give it a break. But we legitimately said at the end of that GoldenEye episode, we will do Spectre next. Fast forward mm. to however long it's been now, 18 months later, have we done Spectre? No. Uh, we've done no. Thunderball, Diamonds Are Forever, and now we're doing Tomorrow Never Dies. So <laughs> good to see we listen to ourselves and Andrew Hedges, apparently. Yeah, but but I think we did come to the consensus after you brought that up a couple of weeks ago that uh, the appropriate thing to do would be to do the Spectre commentary before No Time to Die comes out. So uh, fingers crossed you'll finally hear the um, Spectre commentary in November. Um, if this keeps up, you'll hear the Spectre commentary sometime 2021, 2022. Who knows? We said November. Uh, that could be November 2021, November 2022, yeah, November exactly. 2023. <laughs> Who the hell? Some November, sometime between now and the end of time, we will do the Spectre commentary. Now, speaking of November, uh, the star of this movie has starred in another movie called November Man, which is coming soon, yes. of course, to 007. And I feel it is appropriate, given we tried to start a new tradition last episode, that we do check in with the man himself just to see how uh, how he's feeling uh, right now. Uh, Pierce, uh, do we have you on the line? I don't want to have to do this ever again. Yeah, he really doesn't want to be here still. So uh, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, oh, and just quickly, Pierce, just one final question. Um, tell me the first name that pops into your head. Any name at all. Go. Shirley Bassey. Oh, Shirley Bassey. Okay. Um, first thing that came to my mind too. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't have guessed that. Wouldn't have guessed that. And just while we're on the on the task of playing random things, uh, shall we play this? Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry. We don't ever get to play that in commentary, so I feel like I needed to play that at the beginning. But if you've never listened to a 007 commentary before, well, good fucking luck because here you are. Um, <laughs> we're six minutes in and we haven't even talked about the movie yet. And don't worry. We won't be talking about the movie at all, no doubt, uh, throughout this episode. Uh, get your copy of Tomorrow Never Dies ready. It generally helps. Mind you, though, all the commentaries I've recently listened to, I never watched the movies along with it. So if you think we're comedic geniuses like we do, then just listen to us because apparently it's funny. Uh, we will count you down uh, in just a moment. And on the specific word that we choose, press play and you can watch along this great movie with us. What what shall our play sound be today? Colin Dick Stamper, maybe? John Tenney? Paris uh, Carver? What are you thinking? Uh, All right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I didn't even think of that. All right, so get your copy of Tomorrow Never Dies queued up, and on the word we will press play. Three. Make, make, sure, hold on, hold on. make sure that people are paused on the lion, the MGM lion. Yes, the, the famous line that every episode we need to talk about because we haven't had an That's the interview we're going to have for our 100th episode, the lion from MGM. <laughs> Three, two, one. Mm. Might sound like I was dying. Coincidentally, that is the sound that the lion makes here. Yeah, they've dubbed it over. I've never noticed that before. Good pick up. <laughs> now... Tell us, tell us your Tomorrow Never Dies story, Colin, because th this is your movie, right? This is the movie that yeah. got you into Bond. This, and I had seen Goldeneye prior to this, um, you know, and, and enjoyed Goldeneye, but it didn't like make me a Bond fanatic. And uh, I remember really wanting to see this when it first came out. And this famously opened the weekend of Titanic. It was the battle Bond versus Titanic. 
Uh, obviously, Titanic won narrowly won that weekend. We should also remind people that Titanic is sort of built over time. But uh, uh, I remember really want to see Tomorrow Never Dies. And my brother and sister were like, oh, we got to see Titanic. I'm like, OK, well, you know, Titanic looks interesting, but I'll eventually see Bond. And it took me a couple of months, I think. I think it was like January, February by the time uh, I, I eventually saw it. Cause I remember it was really cold. And I think one of the things that really helped with this, A, it is more of a traditional Bond movie with a lot of the, the the jokes, the gadgets and everything. And also I had seen Austin Powers at this point, whereas at GoldenEye, I just sort of had a loose knowledge of what Bond was. And this coming out a couple months after Austin Powers, I suddenly got a lot of this movie <laughs> based on Austin Powers. So, you know, watched this movie, loved it, came home watched a bunch of Bond movies on TV that night and instantly became a Bond fanatic. I, this was one that it took me a while to see. Um, I had seen Goldeneye. Uh, what is enough was the first one I saw at the movies. And I think I had gone and seen a bunch of, you know, Connery's and Moore's and a bunch of Lazenby's cause there was a heap. Uh, um, and I think this was like the the Brosnan movie that we forgot existed because even my dad hadn't seen this, I remember. So I, I think also too, whenever we try to get it from the video store, it was never available. I, I randomly remember, I think we ended up borrowing it from a friend of dad's. And so like it was, it took a while. I remember seeing this movie. So um, yeah, and I obviously enjoyed it. Like this, this is kind of, I feel this is kind of the forgotten Brosnan. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I also feel like this is maybe the most underappreciated Brosnan. And that, that's kind of yeah. weird coming from me who defends Die Another Day. But let's be honest, Die Another Day, you love it or hate it. You, you're not going to be like in the middle. Whereas I think the world is not enough. Yeah, it's got a few haters, but I think it's kind of starting to get a lot of love, a lot more than it used to. Obviously, everyone loves Goldeneye. But this one just kind of, it just sits there. And I remember when we um, interviewed uh, Nicholas, uh, the, the author of those Brosnan books, um, he sort of mentions a lot in that book how this is kind of a very paint-by-numbers bond and kind of it's just a very standard, plays-it-safe kind of film. But, yeah, I kind of agree with that. But at the same time, I, I this movie is just enjoyable. This is There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with this movie, I think. This is one of those movies that, like, as you kind of said, it's kind of got a lot of ties to some of the older ones. It's got a lot of humour. It's just kind of a very standard Bond film. And, I mean, this this might be the last true standard Bond film that doesn't do anything different. It doesn't try to be yeah. something new. This, this is just, I would say, yeah, your absolute last paint-by-numbers, absolute stereotypical Bond film, which is not a bad thing. This is a good thing, mm-hmm. and this is a good movie. Yeah, it's – everybody involved in the making of the movie admits this was a rush movie. They wanted to capitalize Goldeneye not only – you know, met expectations that well exceeded expectations. Like, let's get a Bond movie out as quickly as possible. And I think this was the one that had that famous teaser trailer. They hadn't filmed anything yet. They just had a title and it was just, you know, you know his name and and he appears appears like black background and he's like Bond. And then he just pauses and goes, well, you know the rest. And they show a couple of clips of the movie, I think. Yeah. Um, they, They really wanted to get this out as quickly as possible, which two years back in the days of Sean Connery, that was a long time to wait between sequels. But in the 90s, you know, two years was pretty much standard. But for a Bond movie, just because of the size and scale of it, I could see why it was a little bit more rushed. Um, if they had had more time to work on this, I think maybe we would have had something a little bit bigger and more modern, like World is Not Enough. You know, even people who criticize World Not Enough, they they did different things with that. They, they took some steps to make it a little bit bigger in terms of story and character development, and everything. The same thing with Die Another Day. 
And I kind of appreciate that this was a bit of a rush movie because it's nice to be able to say this was the last stereotypical Bond movie. It's just a fun movie all around. It, it didn't need to be bigger and better and more complex. It's just it's just it's ridiculous. And it's it's exactly what you would have expected from Sean Connery or Roger Moore back in the day. Just quickly before I say something about what you just said there, I mean, just we talked a lot about in the Brosnan movies how kind of there's just always this ploy, isn't there, with Brosnan where it's almost like a let's keep him a bit hidden for a while and then let's introduce him. And just this, this I mean, look, Goldeneye iconic, you know, big, big, big your pardon, I've got to knock. But this yeah. one here, just the whole punching him <laughs> filthy habit. Um, this is such an underrated opening. It really is. Uh, you know, well, what the hell is he doing? His job. And just, it's just kick ass and just blow up shit and just, oh, I love this opening so much. And and also just the little detail of holding off on showing him or even hearing from him for the first five minutes. I mean, the audience knows it's going to be Bond, but they're talking on the radio and you're not hearing his side. And it's like, what? What's that? And then they're like, oh, turn the camera. What do you mean? It, it's just it's it's a little detail that's different. And it, this it's such a big sequence. I think that, you know, Goldeneye and this uh, really up the ante to the point where I almost feel like they couldn't keep up after this. So you got the world is not enough where the original pre-title sequence that was only supposed to be up until he, you know, uh, repels out the window. They're suddenly like, well, this is too small. Uh, but I think w- what I enjoyed about this is that it is its own standalone adventure. This is, you know, the pre-title scene of uh, like, like, you know, Thunderball or Goldfinger, where it's just it's a mission. It's not going to be connected to hardly anything in the movie is just bond. This is like the end of the previous Bond movie and then after the title start, you're just on a new adventure. And it's crazy to think because we ranked all the pre-title sequences and on both our lists this was our lowest of the Brosnans. But, Mm. I mean, I still had it at ninth. You still had it at 13th. Uh, and overall, it came in at ninth. Uh, look at that. Die another day, beating it. <laughs> but, yeah, again, similar to this film, it's kind of, I feel, the forgotten opening sequence of, of them all. Because, I mean, you remember the bungee in, and everything that happened yeah. in Goldeneye. You remember the hovercraft chase in Die Another Day. You remember the boat chase in The World is On. I mean, Brosnan, probably the most complete of all the Bond actors with his opening sequences, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because he doesn't have a bad one. He really doesn't yeah. have a bad one. Whereas, you know, every other actor, you can argue has bad ones so again just just crazy to think that uh are you also in any way familiar well i I know you are because we've covered you know a very important movie of his on another podcast of ours but uh the director roger spottiswood uh him being the only canadian director for a bond movie i i i think i was made familiar with that uh once we did this movie i think i didn't realize Mm -hmm. he was canadian until uh you you pointed that out yeah, he later did the sixth day with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, but if you go through his filmography, it's actually quite interesting to see that he, you know, started out making a lot of thrillers. And then when he got to Hollywood and started making Hollywood movies, it was comedies, action comedies like Turner and Hooch, Air America, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Ah. Uh, it just it feels weird that he got hired to do this essentially off of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, you know. And, and since then, he's done uh, there's. 
a uh, Canadian uh, movie called Shake Hands with the Devil. That's one of the best Canadian movies ever made that he he did. And I kind of I kind of like, though, the Roger Spot is with that just does dumb action like this. Like, I feel like this in the sixth day, really the only times he did anything like this. But he's so good at it. Like he he's good at making this generic 90s blockbuster. Stop or your mum will shoot. I saw that at a drive-in when I was five years old. I think it's the only time I've ever been to a drive-in. I believe it was that was a double feature with, is it Don't Tell Mum the Babysitter's Dead or something like that? There's a movie. I remember that. <laughs> and like, look, I, could I could I remember these movies? Not in the slightest, but um, like, I just I remember those were the movies that were on and as a five-year-old experiencing a drive-in. That was, that was a random... Uh, yeah, was that Sylvester? Who was was that old lady famous in Stop on My Mum Will Shoot, or was it just some? She random? was one of the Golden Girls. Oh, uh, okay. There you go. Now, how cool is that? An ejection seat that ejects <laughs> them into the airplane above them. Like that's pretty <laughs> epic. <laughs> Uh, Backseat get, driver. <laughs> I, I really, I really want the ejector seat. You must be joking. You must be joking. <laughs> like they need a flashback in his head or something like that, and then you get like Dame Judy. Go on, eject me. <laughs> and we get Robinson introduced here too. Ah, oh, Black Tanner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the song. God. You know, you, I, I. Where did I rank the song? Can you well, look that up? I, I, I came prepared this time, Colin Hilding. Uh, you ranked this <laughs> at number fifteenth. Noah ranked it at nineteenth. Yeah. I ranked it at number three. And I want to say, had we done that ranking wow. two or three years three. beforehand, I would have ranked it at number one. This was my number one Bond song for so long, and it's still. I mean, I had it in my top three. I still have this in my top three. Mm. This, this to me is the most underrated Bond song of all time because, like, my top two, nobody does it better and you know my name, I think, have credit. Like, all the other songs that I will defend, like Die Another Day, again, you hate it or love it. I'm not going to say it's underrated because I'm an idiot. I like that song. But to me, I, I I do not understand why this song gets no love. I really don't. I think this song is epic. I love it. And, yeah, this this to me is the best Brosnan song. And I like Die Another Day, so... Um, you know, I, I, I kind of hold it in the middle. I don't consider it to be like a great Bond song, but it's a good Bond song. I, it is a last in it replacement too, because the, mm. the Katie Lang song, which I think is a better song that plays during the end credits for whatever reason, they decided to, to ditch it and to go with this, but kind of along with the movie, I think that this just suits the movie, even though I don't think I would listen to this above, you know, Goldfinger or nobody does it better or, you know, you know, my name or Skyfall or anything like that. Um, it suits everything else with this movie. It is a classic Bond movie and this is a classic Bond. This is a song like Skyfall that you picture they would have put on a Sean Connery movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's what I don't get. Like it's kind of like this in the world is not enough. They they sound so traditional to me. I can imagine Shirley Bassey singing this song or the world is wait, not enough. Who, wait, who? Shirley Bassey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I need to say that like that. I can imagine Shirley Bassey singing this song. Uh, and yeah, like this everything about this movie where it's just it's just forgotten about. It's just it's just there and yeah. it kind of just gets I mean, this song gets forgotten about, I think. And like it's it's weird like you hear certain artists like as soon as somebody I mean, you're not a huge garbage fan, but I'm sure as soon as you hear somebody talk about garbage, oh, boom, they did a they did a Bond song. You know, yeah. oh, Tom Jones did a Bond. Like certain artists, as soon as you hear their name, oh, they did a Bond song. Cheryl Crow, mm-hmm. not that she really gets talked much in 2020, yeah. but like, I mean, it's kind of a case of I don't think she's a name that pops up straight away of, oh, she did a Bond song. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and she's Canadian too, isn't she? So like there's a lot of no. 
She's in? Oh, I thought she was. Katie uh, Lang was Canadian, not right. Shell Crow, though. Well, I believe Katie Lang still is Canadian, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just FYI. Uh, I, you know why? I think I always get Cheryl Crow and Shania Twain the, confused. Sorry, I'm very distracted. <laughs> Who is this girl in the opening credits? We need to see more of her. It's... Sheena Easton, doesn't she always just insert herself yeah. <laughs> into opening credits? I'm just quickly on the opening credits, though. I actually also really like those. I know you and Noah kind of talked down that and what is enough as being a bit dated. Again, I disagree. I think they, I, I like them. I think they hold up. And I like that kind of sort of techno sort of feel with the satellites, the diamonds, and then kind of the way you've got those circuit boards going over the women. Again, very old school. And I think, I, I don't think it looks dated at all. I think it holds up well. Another thing here, just putting more love on Tomorrow Never Dies, the more we talk about this movie and how much it feels like a classic Bond movie. Is this the last time we really see the Navy and James Bond as part of as a naval officer? Because the Navy plays a huge part in this movie, which also, you know, Spy Who Loved Me and uh, You Only Live Twice. It was the same thing. And I don't think that the Navy's ever really brought in in any way in the other movies. Yeah, no, I think you're right because, I mean, isn't this only the second time we see him in uniform as well after Spy Who Loved Me? Um, Yeah, no, you're right. And that's interesting actually given that we've rebooted it and we've kind of got Bond's backstory now in the Craig films. We've we've never had a connection saying like Commander Bond or, you know, things like that. Like, And that's – you would assume that that would be a big thing in any sort of reboot, wouldn't you? Because if he's served time in the Navy and he's just – I mean, I know he hasn't just joined MI6. We don't know at what point he joined them in the Craig films. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's interesting. And it's kind of, I mean, do you like that? Do you like that kind of connection to his oh, backstory yeah. about the, the whole commander? I mean, Brosnan looks great in a uniform. Come on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's also just using the Navy because we so often just get generic MI6 agents, you know, um, like you only live twice we do get to see the Navy in the beginning of the movie, but you look at the end of that movie and it's just ninjas and soldiers with guns and being able to see where Bond's allies on the other side are just regular commissioned officers. It's something that you don't get to see often enough. One thing too, I love the plot of this film. It's like, it's just, it's whack job crazy, which again is fantastic for a Bond film, but this is a this is a plot that I think kind of makes sense. Again, like the media sort of being evil and you know, it, this this holds up today. <laughs> like it really does. Yeah. And, you know, again, a lot of people kind of talk down on this, like, oh, it's just a parody of Rupert Murdoch and it's just, you know, it's it's dumb. But I mean, we literally were just talking about um you only live twice, you know, a volcano lair threatening the world with nuclear <laughs> bombs and that. That's more outlandish than a newspaper that wants to control its own interests by starting a war. Uh, I mean, you know, analyze well, all the bond plots, people. This is not the don't craziest. Don't say analyze, don't say analyze. Analyze this, <laughs> analyze this. Uh, what what I will say is that now to to I guess knock the movie a little bit. Uh, the rush nature of this, to me, this feels like a script that if you had put this in a Daniel Craig movie, you know, Sam Mendes having time to work with a screenwriter and really build it, I could see a plot like this really being spectacular if they had had more time to work with it. And here it almost feels like the story's too big for the movie that they produce, which is just action, action, action. Because uh, aside from just the media portion of it, you know, playing on uh, the, you know, China and, uh, you know, the, the, the Navy and everything and, and the stealth boat, like technology, it, it just feels like there was so much going on in this movie that maybe they could have done a little bit more with it. If so if there's a reason why I think this movie doesn't click as much, it's almost because the story 
possibly deserved a little bit more than just what the movie gave it. Do you think Brosnan had a thing for stealth things? I mean, we had a stealth train, yeah. a stealth boat. Stealth car? <laughs> Invisible car, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the, the period of Bond where everything was stealth in the mm-hmm. late 90s and early 2000s. Can we just talk about Stamper? Uh, in, our, <laughs> in our henchman one, I think he sort of came up as one that I think we all kind of loved, but was it you or Noah kind of ranked him lower? Um, but, like, the the fact that when we did this episode, if anyone hasn't listened to our Tomorrow Never Dies recap, in all seriousness, it was a fun episode to do. In the novelization of this movie, there is supposedly a whole plot around Stamper that he's into snuff films <laughs> and that basically there's just this whole evil sinister side to him. Now, originally, of course, he was meant to be the whole Renard aspect of not meant to feel pain and they kind of removed that aspect from the storyline and use that for Renard obviously later on, but he is, I guess, you know, the Red Grant blonde henchman kind of archetype. But is he the best outside of Red Grant? I mean, there's just something about Stamper that is just sinister and great and underappreciated. Again, tomorrow never dies. Underappreciated. You remember Stamper. And I love Davidov, don't get me wrong, obviously Xenia, and then you love Zhao. But, I mean, again, maybe the most forgotten uh, well, okay, Davidoff's probably more forgotten than Stamper, but hey, I'm Team <laughs> Davidoff. Uh, yeah, again, just like this movie, kind of underappreciated and forgotten about. Yeah, I think it was Noah who said the idea of Dick Stamper, especially <laughs> what we we got into on that episode, was so much more interesting than what we got in the movie. But even you know, seeing this movie the first time, and maybe it was because I it was the first Bond movie I saw. I thought the stamper was like, wow, what a henchman. But there's also other things about this movie that, you know, the the more I watch other Bond movies, for me, a long time, Carver went down as a villain. I feel like it's only recently that I've started to really appreciate Carver again. So I wouldn't say that it was just because, oh, this is the, what, the first one that really got me into Bond. I think it was, you know, just he was a strong henchman that sort of always held up for me. Um, I don't really think that he has you know the depth of not that these characters have depth but let's just, the iconic stature of jaws or odd job or anybody like that uh but i mean he's got a physical presence unlike anybody you know uh that we'd seen up until this point probably since jaws you know i i still say that zhao uh tops him as far as like a presence goes but the actor is really into it is the other thing, you know, and that's where I think that backstory, even if it was never intended to be in the movie, you can imagine it's one of these things where an actor sort of works. OK, I need motivation. What's my backstory? They're like snuff films. It's like, <laughs> yes, I have got it now. <laughs> everything he's doing here, he's just imagining. It's like, I need a camera on this. <laughs> Scream for me. I was like, even stepping on the, the hand there. Yeah, just and like I love the kind of the way this is shot like that sort of the way they're panned in on Carver's face, like the close-up of his eye, and then you kind of got the the headline changing from, you know, British uh, soldiers killed to British soldiers murdered, and you got the the theme in the background. Like it's so evil and sinister, and it's just it just feels like such a classic movie. Like this is what you would feel Goldfinger or, you know, any of the older movies would be like in modern times, making mm-hmm. it with modern filming techniques. Uh, it just Yeah, exactly. It's just, and this is what I miss about Bond. This is why I complain so much about the Craig era. 
Again, not a bad era. They're great films for what they are, but I miss this type of Bond film. That's why I like Spectre the most out of all the Craig films. It's not a popular opinion because people like this new tone they've taken, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I love this style of Bond film, so that's why, to me, Spectre is the most fun of all the Craig films. I think that um, because they went in a different direction with Casino Royale and... It really did catch on. They almost now have missed the boat because when Bond shifted gears into being more realistic and less cartoony and blockbustery, that's when the Fast and the Furious movies and the Mission Impossible movies just picked up the slack. And they're like, we're going to be cartoony. We're going to be outlandish. We're going to do all the Michael G. Wilson cameo there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, now it almost feels like Bond, it, there wouldn't be an opportunity to go back because, and I'm not a fan of the Fast and Furious movies, but when you have those movies out there in the Mission Impossible movies that are essentially just doing what Bond used to do, in the case of Mission Impossible, you know, doing it completely different level, I don't know if Bond could ever go back to this, which is almost sad. Which, yeah, and I was just thinking that they might try and do it one time and there's going to be outrage, you know, when they do it, mm-hmm. um, which which is a shame. Um, but, hey, who knows? Film. We, I'm sure 20 years ago we didn't imagine we would be in this era that we are for films. So who knows? Yeah. In, in 10 years' time, camp and ponce and weirdness might be the the norm again you know we'll be looking back at this period of movies going oh god they're so serious and boring you know what i mean yeah it's, it's kind of like how people are well, now like, looking back on 90s movies going wow that's so ridiculous and silly but at the time we fucking loved it yeah it'll go in cycles because you know remember the time when uh these movies came out it was basically hey let's not make the mistake that we made with living daylights and license to kill you know let's do the opposite let's make it fun again and then all of a sudden Okay, let's not make it fun. Let's make it back to realistic, like Living Daylights and License to Kill. I absolutely love Jonathan Price. He's just so much fun in this role. Again, underappreciated. Academy Award nominee, Jonathan Price now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got halfway through that two Popes movie. Still haven't finished it. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was just so much talking and it was just like you had to pay attention. And, like, again, I wasn't yeah. – I would still like to see the second half of it. It was a very well-acted movie. Um. But, like, just that whole section there of him, you know, like, I want print, I want radio, I want everything. There's no news. Like, bad news. Like, it's just so, like, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. like, it's so good. I wish I knew why I sort of soured on him at a certain point. It, it, maybe it was because I so quickly after this got into the classic movies where suddenly I was seeing Dr. No and Goldfinger, you know, that, okay, well, he is not going to hold up to those guys. So I just, you know. He 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 kind of started to tumble down my list for a long time. I remember, you know, before we started doing the Double Seven podcast, I probably would have said, "Well, Carver is like, you know, one of the weaker villains." And now I can really appreciate him again. I appreciate him more now than I did when I first saw this movie. Again, to me, Brosnan, no bad villains. I know you're gonna like bring up Gustav mm-hmm. Graves, but I mean, again, no matter what you say about Gustav Graves, you know, Toby Stevens is having fun <laughs> in that role. He he's had given, fun with it, yeah. he's given everything to it. It's just so over the top and ridiculous. Whereas, again, I'm not trying to shit on Craig all the time, but I mean, Dominic Green, hello. Like, I mean, <laughs> he's had three <laughs> great villains, and I know I ranked um, Lashif down very low on my list, but I still can see he's a great villain. Just like, obviously, I thought Honor Blackman was a top 12 Bond girl or whatever it was. But <laughs> 14. 14. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, I mean, there's there's one negative stain on Craig, and that is Dominic Green, whereas, yeah, yeah I can't say that about any. Oh, look, she's cut her hair. Bloody hell, money, Penny. <laughs> I love this moment. Oh, and the, the, okay, let's talk about the music, too. Like, we're getting the classic, like, yep. 
you know, guitar picking bomb theme here, which doesn't come back again until. And the Aston Martin. Uh, I always forget Skyfall. you have this in this film. This is the last mm-hmm. time we see this, isn't it? Till Skyfall. Yeah, very briefly, and the same thing with the music. Like Skyfall brought it back, but like the the score for this movie, like bringing David Arnold on was exactly what the franchise needed. It's funny because uh, there's this um, Facebook group that I'm on, which is all about just movie scores. Uh, and when Pierce Brosnan's birthday was up there, like happy birthday, Pierce Brosnan. What was your favorite movie score from his four Bond movies? And I'm not joking. It might have been 100 percent of the people responded and said to more never dies, to more never dies, to more never dies. Wow. And there were a lot of people were saying like most were saying, OK, GoldenEye was a terrible score. Some were saying like, yeah, world is not enough for die. Another way pretty good. But it was like almost 100 percent, if not 100 percent said to more never dies, best score of the Pierce Brosnan movies. And I think probably still if uh, the only one of the um, the Daniel Craig ones that I think I would put up at this level might be Casino Royale, uh, which again was done by David Arnold. But like, it's it's almost sad that we haven't had. It. Do we do we know who's coming? Oh no, it was Hans Zimmer. That's right. Hans Zimmer. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's unfortunate that I think David Arnold's gone. I mean, I, I hope that he'll be like a John Barry, where he just pops back in after taking a couple movies off. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just a trend of this whole episode. Like, it it honestly is a forgotten score to me as well. Like, I don't of all the. Brosnan scores. This is the one I probably do remember the least. I don't listen to it as much as the other ones. I mean, I I'm more of a defender of Goldeneye than a lot of people than anyone really. It's the only bad thing people say about Goldeneye. <laughs> Die Another Day, I think, is a great score, and I think even that's something that you have said that you don't mind the score for Die Another Day. Uh, and World Is Not Enough as well. So again, under underappreciated, forgotten about. Um, just like this movie. Can I just say also that Jeffrey Palmer, um, who had he done as time goes by with Judy Dench? He had at that point. Like he, I think, yeah, they were doing that the mid nineties, probably or early to mid nineties. Yeah. So I don't know how much that was sort of marketed because I mean that was a pretty popular show in the nineties. I know in Australia it was quite a big show. So I mean the fact that you kind of got like these two. I mean that like. Let's bring in the nanny here. Why not? We're going to get there eventually. It's a Peace Brosnan movie. Like, that'd be like if Fran Drescher in um, in Beautician and the Beast was with Mr. Sheffield, whoever that actor was. He's gone on to a lot of things, yeah. isn't it? Like, it's kind of, it's some of these weird connections that, that would have been interesting. I mean, if any of the Friends actors were in a movie together, it would be like, wow, Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer are in a movie together. Like, not, oh. as, not as big a deal as obviously Friends was as time goes by. But, I mean, still, it's pretty cool to have the two main stars kind of in a movie together like this. When Matthew Perry eventually becomes James Bond, maybe that'll happen. Look at one of the Bond, Courtney Cox's a Bond can, girl. Or can, can I just say that I I recently did my three thousand three watch of Friends, and there there is an episode where uh, it's when Chandler's getting married that they're basically going through who's going to rent a certain tux because uh, Rachel works at Ralph Lauren at that point, and they've got tuxes that have been worn by famous people. And one of the suits I believe that they're trying to get is Pierce Brosnan's tux and they're fighting over who's going to wear either Pierce Brosnan's or Val Kilmer. So they're like, who's cooler, Bond or Batman? And it's just kind of funny hearing Matthew Perry talk about the fact that, like, I want to wear James Bond's tux. You know, I, and I, like, I, I have no idea if that was deliberately done by the writers because there were rumours around at that point. So, hey, let's play this into the script or something like that. But the whole episode, I'm just like, oh, my God, there it is, Matthew Perry. He's kind of James Bond for one episode. The, the closest to James Bond he'll ever get. <laughs> And again, love friends, love Matthew Perry, but that would have been the worst casting decision ever. Come on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know very well it was one of these things where somebody in the media is like, hey, Matthew Perry is James Bond and everybody jumps on it. it, it, it he was never in consideration. It was just some reporter wrote it and like, there's a rumor he's playing James Bond. 
This is, uh, again, another great Q scene. I mean, Bond, oh, yeah. Brosnan has no bad Q scenes at all. <laughs> and I have to say, uh, time of recording this, I think you just mentioned about Brosnan's birthday recently. And yeah. I did appreciate John Cleese tweeting out uh, happy birthday to Brosnan saying something like, please do oh, return those equipment as I've requested <laughs> like many years ago. Oh, Desmond, look at him. I love him in his red suit. I, I love these like Avis yeah. Q. <laughs> did he this, have to wait on other people while he was waiting yeah. for Bond to get there? <laughs> this is this was always used in the trailer, wasn't it? Where it was kind of like yeah. fire, you know, personal injury. Well, accidents do happen from time to time and mm-hmm. they kind of like cut and they frequently do when you're around. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the the marketing for this movie so vividly. Yeah, like, same. You you look back now and say it's the forgotten Bond movie. A lot of that could have to do with the fact that it came out at the same time as Titanic. But going into that weekend, it was Bond versus Titanic, and oh. it, it, people believed that it was going to come down to you know very close to. I think it was something like Titanic made twenty eight million dollars on its opening weekend, and Tomorrow Never Dies made twenty six or something like that. Like it was really close, but it was just Titanic building week after week after week, where this didn't really have an opportunity to be, to be become as as popular, you know, in pop culture and everything as the other Bond movies did. Even something like World's Not Enough, you know, there wasn't the competition for World's Not Enough. I think that's the big difference. This is one of the ugliest cars. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I think you mentioned that. <laughs> Talk here, listen here. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing wrong all these times. <laughs> and now, this, actually, fun fact that uh, Nicholas pointed out in his books too, this is the first time Bond ever uses a mobile phone. That's, <clears throat> that's a little thing that you just kind of don't realise until somebody points it out like that. I uh, I saw something uh, on the internet today about, like, the firsts in movies. It wasn't Bond, but apparently the very first cell phone that ever appeared in a movie was Lethal Weapon. Yeah, there you go. Well, Bond has the distinction of the very first laser used in a movie. Mm. Susik, that's his last name. Nicholas Susik. Yeah, Nicholas Susik. Sorry, yeah. Nicholas. I, I just, I'm terrible at pronouncing things and I then remembered your last name. By his book, he's, he's released a new one, which I haven't read yet, which I'd like to. It's about Bond trailers. Uh, you know what? You know what's funny? Um, uh, it, uh, You said you have Amazon Prime, right? Uh, the, one of the people, Mallory's or- grandma, who we live with does. Yeah. So, you know. Um. <laughs> When you have Amazon Prime, you also get Amazon Reading where you get – you can basically check out up to 10 books at a time for free and then you keep it as long as you want, like digital books. And then if you just want to go over the 10, you have to return one of them. But his book was on there for free, like the new uh, – uh, what is it? Um, trailers. View to a Thrill. Yeah. Yeah, the trailers book that he did. And uh, I, I really wanted to get it, but I'm like, you know what? such a good guy such a such a you know unique writer the books that he's writing i'm like i, I want to actually you know put the money in so this guy gets something out of it yeah no I, i'm i'm gonna buy it i think i i really did enjoy his first two books so and he's apparently writing another one i don't know what these fourth one's about but uh there you go i do <laughs> it'll be out in a week and a half <laughs> it probably will be um bro, just brosnan's like charm and his lines you know, just a little subtle line there of don't let it push you around when he gets out of the car yeah. just like so. this is um i forgot about how we were trying to uh talk up but there's always somebody in these movies that we talk up and this movie it was carver's assistant who yeah. sadly just gets fired <laughs> what's happening you're fired get out of here get out of my sight <laughs> another new banker (laughs) he doesn't change his name (laughs) i do love the way like two two movies in a row the the way they zoom in on brosnan when he delivers the bond james bond kind of Mm -hmm. 
two. I, what is his first Bond, James Bond in World Is Not Enough? It's when he's in the with the X-ray glasses, the, isn't it? Yeah, the casino one. Yeah, and Die Another Day. It's when he introduces to Jinx. Is that that's his first one. It might be yeah because he introduced himself as Van Bierk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> greatest. Bjork, Van Bjork. <laughs> so, but like, I don't think they top the Bond James Bond, do they? In the first two, like, I think no. that that one there. I just, I love the way that kind of the way they zoom in on him. Like, it's just, it's cool. And is this? We this should. Is, uh, this sounds silly, but we should do a rankings of the Bond James Bonds. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to run out of rankings eventually. <laughs> so, <laughs> we get to towels, and we'll do Bond James Bond. Did um, is this the first time that we've kind of had the main Bond girl and sort of the secondary one introduced you in the space of like five seconds? Because as soon as you see Wei Lin, then you see Paris Carver like straight away. I mean, it's probably happened before. I'm probably missing I a movie. Thought of that? Yeah. I remember the the marketing around how big of a deal Terry Hatcher was in this movie because yeah. say what you will about Terry Hatcher. I mean, Lois and Clark was still on at this point. She was a big name in 1997 <laughs> and she kind of had a second career renaissance of Desert Housewives. She's waiting for a third one right now. She's kind of been in hiding since, probably in John Tenney's basement. She's waiting basement. for John Tenney to have another dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to divorce, John. I don't care. Be another Bond girl. Um, is that guy wearing newspaper print as a jacket? I've never noticed that before. <laughs> Good eye. <laughs> wow, that is terrible. Uh, <laughs> I and it, actually, it's uh, Nicholas Susick again. His book. I, I feel like we're being sponsored by Nicholas Susick's books yeah. today. But like, he actually made me appreciate Paris Carver so much more after reading his book. Like, I never disliked her. It was kind of just like, oh, uh, you know, she's in it for five minutes. Lol, Terry yeah. Hatcher dead. But like he actually points out that she's very important to this movie and kind of the emotional connection to Brosnan and just, yeah, I don't know if you kind of felt that with Paris Carver mm. after reading his book. Well, I mean, I, I think I appreciated Paris a little bit more, but he really nails the character. I think I, I was caught off guard because before we did the interview with him, uh, we should mention Bond of the Millennium. You yes, can pick it Bond up on Amazon. Pick it up on Amazon. <laughs> it's a great book. <laughs> Great book. Uh, as I was reading it, you know, in preparation for the interview, all the notes I was making was, you know, wow, he's really, you know, uh, selling the importance of Paris and, and what a, a great character she was. And then when we talked to him, it was very interesting. You know, we sort of asked him outside of GoldenEye, what's your favorite, you know, uh, a Bond movie? He had talked up the world's not enough a lot. And then he was like, you know, I think Tomorrow Never Dies. And I think it was solely just because of all the praise he has on Paris, like such a small character. But I don't remember him writing much else about Tomorrow Never Dies that, that would have made it his second favorite Pierce movie outside of Paris. So we should have him on just to do a Paris appreciation episode. And I think props to Terry Hatcher because – the only things I've really seen her in is Lois and Clark and Desperate Housewives. I think she was in one yeah. of the Spy Kids movies. I think we established this not too long ago. Um, but, like, she's she's kind of known for playing that sort of comedic role, isn't she? Like, sort of, you know, with some dramatic moments. I mean, Lois and Clark had its dramatic mo- moments. Desperate Housewives had its dramatic But it's more about the comedy. And she plays this very level-headed, very straight, very serious. And she's a good actress. Say what you will about Terry Hatcher. I've always been a fan of hers, and I think she's very well suited to this role. Of course, this was meant to be Monica Bellucci as well, who obviously, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years later basically would finally get to play a Bond girl. But, yeah, it's and it's funny to think that they both had about the same amount of screen time in both movies, except Monica Bellucci survived. So, yeah, it's, I don't know, I, I just a sure. Terry Hatcher fan. I think she's very well suited to this. I mean, she's popped up because of the Lois and Clark thing. She pops up in a lot of the DC shows. Remember, she appeared 
on Smallville. I think she played Lois Lane's mom on Smallville. Uh, and then she had a role in the Supergirl show as well. Um, but when you when you think about it, has she done anything outside of Bond, Lois and Clark and Desert Housewives? I mean, <laughs> she was wasn't she known before that? Wasn't she a love interest on Seinfeld for a while? I think that's kind of one of these things oh, where, yeah, where they the, do those, um, you know, famous people in sitcoms before they were famous and kind of Terry yeah. Hatcher was always brought up. It was the episode uh, where they all speculated she had implants and then she finds out and she literally just walks out of Jerry Seinfeld and says, you know, they're real or something like that. And, and he just leaves them. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember that now. Yeah, just looking here. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, outside of Desperate Housewives, gosh, yeah, Smallville. I forgot about that. Um, she had a recurring role in a Matthew Perry show, The Odd Couple. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's, I mean... I think she's kind of also somebody who's stained a lot with her reputation and the tabloids and kind of all those sort of things because, you know, apparently she's notoriously difficult to work with and a bit of a diva. But um, I think also is that her daughter is kind of famous now too, isn't her daughter like into acting or something? She's 55 now. Like that's crazy. She does like she's like Famke Jansen, doesn't age, just got to say it. Yeah. And Michelle Yeoh, there's another one who doesn't age. Like ridiculous. We, you know, she, you know, uh, I was just going to say um, uh, we have like a huge Chinese immigrant population in Winnipeg, uh, <laughs> immigrant of any country in Winnipeg. Um, but uh, why? Uh, it, it's, it's a <laughs> There's other places that, in Canada, people. I know it's weird. It's, <laughs> it's it's just uh, I think it's, you know, um, cheaper housing market and, uh, you know, the, the job market's pretty strong, I guess, for, you know, uh, people who are immigrating. So we have like probably the biggest immigration in the whole country of Canada. Uh, but, uh, there was a place I worked at and I, I, there were a lot of Chinese people work there. And there was one guy in particular, I remember, uh, and, uh, one day we were at work, we were sort of talking and I think this was around, um, Something that Michelle Yeoh had 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 just come out and uh, we were saying like, you know, like she was like 50 years old or something like that. And it's like, man, she's like so attractive, 50. And he was saying it's like, yeah, you know, Chinese guys don't find Michelle Yeoh attractive. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then other Chinese guys there, too. It's like, yeah, no, no, no. And we're like, what is it where where white guys <laughs> like Michelle Yeoh, but Chinese guys are like, no, ooh, what? And also Chinese girls love Jonathan Price. Yeah, <laughs> mad for him, and and they go nuts for Dick Stamper. <laughs> <laughs> it's Not I mean it's fight scene. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh, I know I've mentioned it a lot, but she's actually um, I don't know if she's married or she's in a relationship with Jean Tote, who is basically the head of uh, the FIA, kind of the controlling body of Formula One, and he used to be the head of Ferrari for many years. And I remember when they started dating, and kind of she started appearing at Grand Prix. I was like, "Holy crap! It's it's the other woman. Uh, <laughs> it's Wei Lin." Um, which is kind of it's weird. And every time you see like Jean Tote, like they kind of do a grid walk, she's always there with him. So it's kind of a very odd pairing. If you look him up, he's a very weird looking little French man. Um, but hey. They've been together now for nearly 20 years, I think. So good for them. You know, she uh, she had this as her – because she was a big um, action star. And she, she was like the first female action star in Hong Kong. Uh, a, a couple of movies she'd made, you know, um, uh, I think Super Cop was one of the uh, big ones that she did, uh, Super Cop 2. Uh, but uh, this was like her English language debut essentially. And she's one of these actresses that you probably can't find another Asian actress who's 
popped up in more big things than she has. Yet, I don't think she's ever really considered to be a Hollywood star. She's about to get fired. You know, she sorry, sorry, she's about to get fired. <laughs> yeah, he fired. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but um, it, it, she's f- sort of now, like in her late 50s, had this huge boom. Uh, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> um, the Star Trek Discovery TV show, which is truly awful. She is easily the best thing on it, and people love her so much. They basically gave her her own spinoff that uh, I don't know if it started filming yet, but it's it's in production. They're giving her own Star Trek TV show, and it's just weird that we're now twenty over twenty years removed from Tomorrow Never Dies, and only now is she really getting the appreciation that you know she probably should have had twenty years ago. I love that little stamper, little head shake when he walks in and realizes all like his henchmen have just like fucked up, and he's just like, no, bad, and walks out. <laughs> You know, Davidov would have gone in there and gone like, oh, I would have done it better. <laughs> no one listens to me. This is another one of those. Again, Nicholas Susik in his book, Sol- Sells His Scene, is really important, yeah. something that I don't think I appreciate. I mean, we talked up in The World Is Not Enough, sort of the Electra and Brosnan scene, uh, you know, the Brosnan and Judy Dench scene, you know, dr- these dramatic moments that Brosnan really has good moments of, which, again, mm. we don't ever seem to hear appreciation for. But this whole sequence that he's going to have with Paris here in just a second is is great. I love this news guy. We didn't do it. <laughs> do you think Monica Bellucci would have uh, been better in this role? I, I, I don't think, you know, like I love Monica Bellucci, but I, I'm kind of glad that this is how the James Bond, you know, franchise turned out, that we got Terry Hatcher here and Monica Bellucci <laughs> later on. I think she was great in Spectre as well. I think that... Similar to what I said with the script, I think as much as we're praising the Paris Carver role here, I I still in a way feel like Terry Hatcher sort of under delivers um, from what this could have been because it just I, I think this is just one of these movies where on paper this would have been like one of the top 10 bomb movies of all time and it was just maybe a little bit too rushed. Monica Bellucci probably would have brought a little bit more depth to it. But th- there is something about, and I'm not really a Terry Hatcher fan. Um, like the Lois, I'm a massive Superman fan, but like Lois and Clark, I really struggle with that show. Um, but there is there is a quality that she brings to this that you just buy. You buy that Bond. This wouldn't have been a pussy galore or a Holly Goodhead or whatever. Where a week later he's done with her. You buy that this is somebody that he probably would have been in a relationship with for like six months to a year. It's uh, interesting with Jonathan Price. He has his Bond girl connections. Of course, he did a, a Vita a year before this with a certain uh. someone. <laughs> to bring it up. Is it Rosamund Pike? I'm hoping it was Rosamund Pike. <laughs> yes, Rosamund Pike. You remember that famous Rosamund Pike version of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina? It was, <laughs> it was great. Um, the rankings, I downloaded it. <laughs> I know you would. Um, just quickly while we have these up, because I, I did have a bunch up here, which I forgot to go through. Tomorrow Never Dies. I said I had that at three, the song this is. Um, you had it at 15. No, I had it at 19. It came in mm. overall at 14 on our list. Uh, the Henchman... Stamper, I had 11, you had at 12, Noah at 15. He came in overall at 13. Uh, Villains, Elliot Carver, I had at 9, you had at 11, Noah at 15. He came in at 13. And the Bond girls, I think we all had Waylene at the same spot, did we not? Oh, no. <laughs> you and Noah had him at seventh, her at seventh. <laughs> I had her at eight because I had Jinx at seven. So. Oh, Ben. 
and I stand by that. This movie, just quickly, because, again, I'll probably forget, uh, overall on our list, it came in at 11th, actually. That's a bit higher than I remember it coming in. You had it uh, at 14. No, at 14. I had it finishing at 9, which when we revised our list, I bumped it up. I initially had it at 12, but then I moved it up three spots, which besides from Russia with Love, that was my highest move up. So I, all, all the Brosnan films to me are top 10 films. There you go. That's a popular opinion. Do you think it's weird for baby Tenny Hatcher here to watch this movie and know that her mom was porking James Bond while she was in the belly? <laughs> yes. This is uh, the start of uh, Bond's necro phase, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I do love that look on her face like, oh, they're my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always wonder as actors, like, you know, it's all like with this scene, it's like, oh, wow, it's it's sexy and it's romantic and kind of say great lingerie there too. Um, but, like, again, they're surrounded by, like, 30 people on that set. So Terry had to be like. her shoulder in pulling, front of 30 people. Pulling down a, a shirt, revealing a boobs. I wonder if anyone on set's like, oh, Terry Hatcher's boobs. Or if it was at that moment they're like, she's pregnant. <laughs> What was it, the movie we were talking about over on the Oz Network? Uh, Batman and Robin, where it was like Alicia Silverstone was fat shamed on set or something because she couldn't get into a suit or something like that. By the way, download Batman and Robin recap on the Oz Network. Um, Along with a lot of the other things I'm saying with this movie, uh, Gupta here. Oh, great. (laughs) Great, but again, in a way I sort of feel like this should have been bigger it should have been more unique it should have been profiled more like he's just sort of an afterthought in this movie and and yeah maybe it's because we're coming off of boris and it's essentially the same role that he's filling i i don't really ever and, and ricky jay who plays him you know also a pretty big deal who's you know a very decent very quirky actor uh outside of this um doesn't quite amount to I think what he he could have based on what I think they were going for here. I, I agree with that, but I still think he's great. Like uh, in the limited role he has, I mean, we're going to get to another person very soon, of course, who I think we all agree is maybe the most underrated random henchman we ever have. Like he's just such oh, a yeah. great character. But there's something about Gupta as well because he's just yeah. I see what you're saying. Absolutely, he's kind of the Boris. He's nowhere near as good as Boris, but just he he has that look about him. I think kind of Ricky J just has that look where you're kind of like yeah, this guy's a bit of a weasel. He's going to be you know mm-hmm. stealing this coder and selling it off and doing that. And I think it was it was either in our brosnan recap or it might have even just been the tomorrow never dies one where or it might have even been in our uh ranking the pre-titles one where you had kind of or noah had said that oh the tomorrow never dies pre-titles is just like the classic bomb ones where it's got no connection to the whole uh movie and i'm kind of like well no that's not true we see gupta and the decoding device and kind of that's what they're getting away with and you or noah had forgotten about that so i think that kind of sums up that a lot of people forget about him being in this movie and kind of being a pretty key integral part in this entire movie his death is kind of just done and dusted though so i mean that's kind of when you just killed off quickly you know they don't really have the the techie guy though in world's not enough but they do it again and die another day i can't remember what the character's name is the hey boss he beat your time that guy yeah 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 um yeah no he's awesome yeah but that's obviously a running thing this uh this sequence here i think is the one that i remember responding to the most when i saw this the the night that i 
went and saw it. I went by myself too. You know, after all that time of like, come on, I want to see Bond and my brother and sister. No, let's see Titanic or whatever. Eventually, I'm like, I'm just going to see this myself. And it was this sequence I think that that I really love just sneaking in and using these gadgets and, and even just the final line there. They'll print anything these days. It's like which was so it you and cheesy, Noah? So was bad. it you and Noah who hated it, or was it both of you? Because I love that line. Oh, I love that one. Maybe it was Noah. This is, this is the yeah. thing, like, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked in newspapers. I've been to facilities like this before. I kind of say there are not guards standing around with freaking headpieces <laughs> in. Like, I mean, it's, Well, if it was carvers, they would be. It's actually, I mean, these are, these are fascinating facilities. Like, and also they are very dangerous. <laughs> but, like, when you, when you watch these newspapers, like, getting printed, and that, it's, actually, it's really fascinating to see then how that sort of was being done on those big giant spindles. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see this in person. Okay, what's the, the, the radioactive sign behind Pierce there? <laughs> radioactive ink? <laughs> yes, this is what they do with tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got to say, the awesome. I think, yeah, the gadget, I mean, this is, a real spy feel. And this is again, going back to that traditional bond feel. Um, we joked a lot about that podcast that talks about bond suits and everything. And I know in our last commentary or whatever it was, we brought the name up of it. Listen to it. We're, we're only being silly, but like, I don't really pay attention to things that bond wears and that as much as I have <laughs> now, since I'm aware of this pod, I've never listened to it, but like this suit here, like this is kind of almost like a business suit, but it actually, it, he pulls it off. Well, why what am I man. talking about it? But <laughs> what a man! I also love the the editing here, where he's kind of like going through the drawers and it kind of just randomly cut to pondering Brosnan. Hmm, what do I do next? <laughs> Has he got the first iPhone? I know that's a, an Ericsson, but like, this is very yeah. much like an i. You know how they always I'm... say the Simpsons predict everything? Did Tomorrow yeah. Never Dies predict like the smartphone? Carver's really into porn. cash, cocaine, heroin, and porn. <laughs> Why doesn't this one is like on a Majesty's Secret Service where he just picks up the porn magazine? <laughs> where should I put this, boss? Put it with the porn. <laughs> Somebody doesn't like the porn in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's Casper. <laughs> He's just like his father, doesn't know what porn is. <laughs> the penis is evil. Oh, no. <laughs> no, don't. Was it, he knows w- the code. Waylin's introduction before, like when they've snuck Brosnan in, they've put him on the list. And then what is it, Carver? Like, I don't remember seeing you on the list. And yeah. then it's kind of, oh, no, we'll just let you in. <laughs> This is uh, there are definitely parallels to Goldeneye. This is very much like the archives, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even ending in like the the big chase scene, and it's also parallels to Die Another Day with Jinx and realizing that she's not who he thinks <laughs> she is. This is so cool here too. Her with her her little walking up the wall thing. Batwoman. Yeah. So she was uh, this was this her this was her first like western movie. I love that look Brosnan yeah. gives her. Uh, her first western movie. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, technically, because um, no, 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 I think it would be because um, she did make a movie. Uh, there was a Jackie Chan movie, Super Cop, and she did the sequel, Super Cop Two, which was 
released theatrically here, but I think it was that's a dubbed movie. Obviously, you know that would be later on. I gotta say, I feel sorry for this security guard. He's just doing his job. <laughs> like this isn't a henchman. This is like factory security guard three. Like he's just literally doing his job. Yeah, exactly. This he. What does he know what Bond is? Like, this could just be some guy coming in to, you know, bomb the place. Like, it could be. Like, you know, what happened to that French newspaper many years ago? <laughs> oh, but he's not the one who falls in the newspaper. This is an evil guy because he's in a red suit. Like, yeah. <laughs> Q. I wish there was newsprint on his jacket, too. We've got to get one of those jackets. This line is amazing. Although that blood looks really fake. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great line. No, you're wrong. If that was you who said that was wrong, you're wrong. So, yeah, it was her first English language movie. Um, and I'm struggling to even find another American movie or I guess non, non-Chinese movie between this and Memoirs of a Geisha, because obviously she had Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but that movie, you know, was still foreign language. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians? Was that in English? Well, yeah, but I was just thinking the first one after Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, right, right, right. right. Is it the Avatar sequels? Oh, goody. (laughs) I don't know why I'm down. I I had nothing Avatar. I saw it at the movies. I've I've never seen it since. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that guy was wearing a face mask. I thought, like, oh, coronavirus was a thing in 1997. <laughs> oh, oh what an ugly car. car. It's so ugly. Almost, you know, I almost make fun of you when you talk about the cars because I'm not a car person at all. So I'm like, I don't know. It's a car. But I am with you. This is an ugly car. I'm also oh. of the opinion that the Lotus is, like, a hideous-looking car. Yeah, but, like, I can see why you would think it's ugly, but I, I still think it's a beautiful-looking car personally. But it just it's iconic, at least. Whereas it's just dated, I think. This is just... I mean, I give shit yeah, for Craig films a- having dad cars. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the... This is a grandpa and car. Really, this was just because they were offered a bunch of money from BMW, oh, right? yeah. And wasn't it Brosnan in his GoldenEye commentary talked up the fact that he wasn't a big mm-hmm. fan of BMWs and that he was yeah. glad that in Die Another Day they eventually got back to the the Astons and the Jaguars. And, I mean, look, the Z3 Roadster in the first Brosnan, I mean, yeah, it's okay. And then you have the Z4 in the next one. But literally the Z4 is like, you know, for two seconds it gets chopped in half. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird that BMW paid the amount of money they did because this I remember this being in the news so much in the 90s when BMW had <laughs> this huge contract. Their, their cars are barely used. And I can see why. Because <laughs> they want Bond to look cool. And that is not cool. Like, like, uh, I mean, who is the coolest person on the planet? Oh, Kanye West. Sure, he came to my mind. He would not look <laughs> cool. In a, in a Kanye BMW. West is the coolest man on the planet? Well, name someone cooler. I don't know, Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> don't start this crap again. Barack Obama. Barack Obama could not pull up in that car and pull it off. Samuel L. Jackson. Michael Jordan, his flavor <laughs> of the month at the moment. I, I brought this up before, but the one thing Pierce Brosnan had over any of the other Bonds is he could hold a gun better than anybody else. The way that he holds and points the guns, it, it's not like a movie guy. This is like the way somebody with combat training holds a gun. I always like that. 
something I've never really paid attention to, but you're right. He's got a look. He's just got a, a, a menacing look, does Brosnan. And this is why I, again, put him as the number one. I think he's just, he's complete, he's a complete package. He, he ticks every box that a Bond to me should be. And just the way he kind of has his look on his face, his, his demeanor, his body language, the way he runs, like he just pulls it off serious hard ass. And then the next minute he can just be completely cocky and suave and just, yeah, like him and him and Connery have the complete package the most to me. Like the other Bonds, while I don't hate any Bond actor, I think that they've got, they're swayed to more one way or the other and they lack in other departments a lot more than Brosnan and Connery. And here is our man that we love. Is Hoffman. he the most underappreciated, most random yeah. person ever, Dr. Kaufman? I mean, he is someone. I was we uh, I was thinking about that like about an hour before we recorded. I'm like, oh, we got to talk about Kaufman. And <laughs> that guy getting zapped. Did you call the auto club? <laughs> Just the way they cut back and forth between this scene with this really sinister guy and then these buffoons trying to get in the car. It's just great. Um, but I was thinking to myself, like, you know, do I wish that Kaufman was a bigger henchman that he appeared again at the end or, you know, in the middle and the end or something? I'm like, no, something. I think it's the fact that he is just one scene is what makes it. I can't find any other Bond henchman that did this, that could just have a one scene appearance and have this much impact. Davidov. (laughs) Vargas. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you're right. And. I think we talked this up in the recap, and it was a similar thing to Paris Carver, funnily enough. It's kind of like, do we need more from them? I mean, it's kind of you get what you need and it's it's fine. But, yeah, like he's just got such a presence. I love I love this. This is embarrassing. They can't seem to get into your car. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I don't know if, if this guy really is German or not. What's his name? Vincent Schiavelli. But, like, he is the most, most stereotypical German accent uh, he's actually American, funnily enough. Like, the way he kind of plays it, like, I could shoot you from Stuttgart and still make it look like an accident. Like, he's just got the most stereotypical German accent, but you don't mind. Like, it's hilarious. And he, he looks evil and yeah. German. <laughs> no offense to our Germans who aren't evil who are listening <laughs> today. He he is, he. well, I guess he is Italian. He died in Italy. Um, that makes him Italian because once you, Lois Maxwell was Australian then because she died in Australia. Schiavelli doesn't sound Italian. Uh, (laughs) Vincent doesn't sound Canadian. It's (laughs) Swedish. Um, Oh, but uh, sorry, 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 (laughs) sorry, sorry. (laughs) But I love on Wikipedia he is an American character actor and food writer. No. I could cook you from Stuttgart and still make it taste delicious. <laughs> Even the way he's like, Aah! yeah. And like, I love this. We, we have like a minute and a half to talk about our favorite character in the movie here. Such a cold, hard ass kill. When he's going through like that speech, you know, about uh, how he's going to torture him and kill him and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden his earpiece. Ah. <laughs> But just like this, uh, such an underrated Brosnan moment there again. No, I mean, not the whole necro thing right now, but um, the <laughs> when it's just like I am just a professional doing my job, and he's like, so am I, and just bang shoots him in the head. Like Jesus, that is a cold kill. Connery didn't have a cold kill like that. Well, I mean, it, you wouldn't consider Dent to be a cold kill. Yeah, well, 
You had your six. <laughs> Let me talk up Brosnan. I do yeah. love like the stamper look. I like the stamper like what the fuck's going on? Are you already up to that? Am I behind on yours? Uh, the look on the. I think you're a couple seconds ahead of my, me. Yeah, the he just stamper. hit the remote on his car. Yeah, yeah, same as mine. No, the look on okay, like yeah. stamper on the roof, looking over. Oh yeah. Why are all these henchmen like fifty? <laughs> well, they all came out of henchman college and a view to a kill, and this was over a decade later. This is epic. This whole sequence again, oh, yeah. like a remote control. Like, it's, okay, this car is a piece of shit, but it's still an awesome little moment. And just again, Brosnan's facial expressions. He's so serious, and there'll be a moment here where he kind mm. of has a little laugh. And then I love the bit when he kind of like jumps out of the car and he puts his hands up, like, "Oops, I'm going to crash the car." <laughs> like, oh, he's so good. I love the narration by this woman. Like, yeah, please put on seatbelt. <laughs> and the music, yeah, you're right. Like with the score, just the way it feels with this. Brosnan movies all had epic chases, and you remember yeah. them all. I mean, most have two. Goldeneye Tank and then the the car in <laughs> Monaco, I guess. <laughs> this has the motorbike chase, and this sequence, World is Enough, has the, well, the boat. Boats. And, I mean, I, I like the tunnel chase, but it's not really iconic. It's just a tunnel chase. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Die Another Day obviously has uh, both the car on ice and the, the hovercraft sequence. So, yeah. yeah. I love also, too, the way, like, the tyres reinflate. I mean, come on, that's so oh, yeah. dumb, but it's great like, at the same time. This movie's absurd, but, like, it's it's always been strange to me that there are people out there who will praise You Only Live Twice, which might be even ahead of Moonraker, the most absurd Bond movie ever made. And yet this is like, oh, this movie's dumb. That car is so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so ugly. let's focus on the beautiful Pierce Brosnan in the backseat. Oh, what a man. <laughs> Hair barely moving. Let's also remember in our commentary, well, not our commentary, Brosnan's commentary, that, again, he he doesn't remember this movie or yeah. uh, well, <laughs> every single time he would bring it up, he was basically like, which was the one I did this in? Which was the one I did? And, like, I think he kind of lumps Die Another Day in there, but at least he does, I think, remember Die Another Day more just because of, you know, well, yeah, if the crazy shit. Well, and the rocket that just goes oh. through the front and back windows of our blown out just flies through, through it. <laughs> Good. No, but with Die Another Day, like the Everything or Nothing documentary, though, where he's like, yeah. what was the one with the invisible car? And he just laughs. I'm like, okay, he's not remembering it fondly, Ben. <laughs> yeah. But uh, such, yeah. A, such a man. What I don't know if I've said this before, man. but like Jamie just Jamie just does not have a thing for Pierce Brosnan. Um, Divorce and her. I, well, it's it's weird because I tell her, I'm like, it's not just me. I can't tell you how many straight men I know who say Pierce Brosnan is the most handsome man they've ever seen. And she will always be like, no, he's he's OK. And the other day I'm like, OK, rank the Bond actors. And she said she would put Pierce Brosnan second last <gasps> with Lazenby being last. Um, she did say she, she she couldn't remember Timothy Dalton, uh, which <laughs> so also I says a lot. I I showed her the picture of Timothy Dalton. She's like, oh, he's handsome. Yes. Every and night like, you really? go to bed and hypnotize her, forget <laughs> Timothy Dalton was Bond. Well, I told her, I'm like, you're going to watch Timothy Dalton and then suddenly decide he's not handsome anymore. <laughs> this oh, is what buddy. I have determined. 
but she she says she would rank Pierce Brosnan second last. I'm like, you're telling me that you wouldn't you wouldn't do Pierce Brosnan? She goes, no, I know I wouldn't turn him down. <laughs> She's like, but I pick Connery and Moore and Daniel Craig first. <laughs> yeah, but she wouldn't turn down anyone with a penis and a chest. Yeah. <laughs> True. Also, also, the subtle little moment, the fact that the car crashes into an Avis rent, like the fact that that's him returning <laughs> yes. the car. Can we just point out just like the subtle brilliance of that humor? Oh, he's going to be in uniform here. Oh, oh Jimbo. <laughs> Yo, Jimbo. Yo, Jimbo. Moffrey. Moffrey. <laughs> I lo- and I also love the little uh, the little flute there of... An underrated wardrobe of bond here joe don baker in a hawaiian shirt (laughs) i think like this is again oh just ben we get it you love the brosnan films but like i love just the little return of characters like you have obviously uh joe don baker here and then when you have valentino zukofsky and he's got dinosaurs on his shirt can we just point out there's dinosaurs (laughs) on his shirt zukofsky returns in the next one like it's just kind of like Mm -hmm. the little kind of returns of people um well i guess robinson returns in die another day (laughs) <laughs> oh, we didn't want enough, but yeah. <laughs> they were building a similar thing to what the Conneries did, but they're like, let's introduce new characters. You know, we'll still have Money Penny, we'll still have Q, but let's, you know, have our own Felix Leiter and, uh, you know, a, a, a little henchman. Because the, the, the books did the same thing. Sometimes you'd have, you know, these minor characters just popping up. Mary Goodnight was a minor character that pop in and out. So <sighs> that hat. Sorry. I just love you. Put something. <laughs> love oh that was a weird laugh Ben but I don't care I love Wade Wade's amazing he just looks him up and I love down. the little you the look he has and he just adjusts his shirt <laughs> yeah, and you just totally picture like he's looking head to toe Pierce Brosnan in uniform and he adjusts his shirt and he's like jealous Bond <laughs> Um, I love this guy's sponsor. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) You you watched recently on Brosnan's birthday, I believe, Dante's Peak. Yeah, I did. Uh, Now, it's a great movie. I have not seen it in a long time. Uh, Did it make you like it better than Volcano yet, or are you still on Team Volcano? I I was uh, talking about this with with Jamie. I said Volcano, I think, is a more all-around entertaining movie, but Dante's Peak is definitely a much better movie. This is the action starts right away in Volcano, whereas Dante's Peak, you, you have to wait to like the end of the movie. But like, you put Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton together. I mean, oh. it, it, I'm OK with them just talking and having dinner for an hour. And you, you'd like that movie because an old lady gets like burnt to death by acid. Yeah. So. <laughs> she deserves it. Stupid woman jumping yeah. into a lake of acid. What a dumb bitch. If only the children had died in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're not too bad in that movie. They're tolerable, those kids. I, I was I was saying that the thing that stuck out the most for me is I remember seeing that with a friend of mine um, on opening weekend, and we laughed till we had tears in our eyes at the moment where the kid was driving the car. I think because we were young, <laughs> we weren't old enough to drive it or whatever. <laughs> Just seeing a twelve year old kid driving a car was the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Up a mountain with ash coming down while his hands are going left, right, left, right, left, right in typical yeah. movie. You <laughs> yeah. Know. Whoa. <laughs> now, is this, uh, here's a. Is- uh, this is a Halo but, jump, isn't it? It's not the one with yeah. Waylon later. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, Quantum of Solace, they did a much more subtle job of like nods to previous Bond movies than Die Another Day it did. But I just remember like freaking out that moment in Quantum of Solace where they essentially did this jump. It was more accidental. It wasn't intentional. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's a nod to the never dies. <laughs> Sorry. He didn't even say goodbye. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Um, and this was done for real. I think they had about 10 takes or something like that. They, they legit did a halo jump, which uh, this is a real thing. This is a very dangerous, high-risk maneuver. Mission Impossible, still ripping off Bond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't even say goodbye. <laughs> oh, so good. Such a better character than freaking Willard White or whatever. Not Willard White. What was the guy's name? What was it? I don't even remember his name in Living Daylight. No, Joe Don oh, Baker in Living oh, Daylight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad Whitaker. <laughs> Brad Whitaker. I knew there was a word in there somewhere. Oh. Now, where did Brad Whitaker rank on our villains? He must last, have been last, right? He was, he, him and yeah. uh, Kozkov were right down the bottom. There was um, that Quantum of Silliness uh, Facebook page, which I really want to buy that book, actually. Uh, they, they post a lot of funny memes, and I think they posted something the other day about, like, something about the living daylights, and they were like, oh, let's talk about their villains. Besides being the worst of all time, what else can we say about? And I think it was like a picture of them pointing at each other going, you're the worst villain. No, you're the worst villain. <laughs> Which is a shame. Living Daylights was such a great movie. How does it have bad villains? This uh, uh, sequence, uh, this reminds me of um, There's the, the bit where the body kind of comes out of nowhere. It reminds me of that infamous moment in Jaws, Jaws. where you always yeah. jump. To this day, no matter how many times I've seen Jaws, still scares the shit out of me, that scene. Yeah. Which, you know, interesting trivia fact, it, it had... <laughs> that bit there. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> The Jaws one was a reshoot because they looked at the first time and they're like, this isn't scaring anybody. So they shot it in like Steven Spielberg's pool or something like that on a weekend. <laughs> has dead bodies. All the, all the assistant directors. <laughs> You're fired. Get out of my sight. You're fired. <laughs> have we done a Spielberg? Oh, we've done Jurassic Park, haven't we? Never mind. Yeah. Outside of Jurassic Park and Lost World, have we done a Spielberg movie? No. We've got to do the Jaws movies. Oh. Like, I, I actually really would be excited to do even jaws three um yeah i don't mind jaws three and two they're they're not that bad they're They're not not great to me it would be like the jurassic park movies you know they get sillier the more time goes on but there's still some fun to them i do i I actually remember jaws two actually kind of liking that movie but um you know jaws four i mean actually i would probably say out of all the jaws movies i might have seen jaws of revenge the most because i think i got (laughs) like i got jaws on video like as a young kid because i was you know big shark phase shark obsessed (laughs) And then I think when I got a DVD player, one of the first DVDs I ever got was Jaws of Revenge for some reason. I think maybe somebody <laughs> just gave it to me for Christmas or something. But I would watch it all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> I was young and dumb. I think every single year on the Oz Network when we do Bad Movie Month, uh, I'll kind of, you know, pre-compile a list of here's some things we could do. And I think Jaws of the Revenge has been on that list three years in a row and we just haven't settled on it. It was like how it took us forever to do Gili, So Yeah. Um. We also need to remember, Colin Hilding, as a side tangent, that The Room, two-year anniversary commentary ah. will have to be coming up soon, won't it? September, I maybe think, we October? Can, we can uh, maybe get somebody from the movie on. Well, I mean, they're not doing much else, are they? <laughs> I was so disappointed. This is not even talking about Tornado Eyes, but let's just be honest. They're underwater. We, we hey, spent two well, hours Can I also underwater. say we've taken more than an hour to get off topic? It's a new record <laughs> for us. Um, they had the, the, the guy who, Greg from The Room, who was mm-hmm. going to be doing a live event. It was supposed to be in three weeks here in Winnipeg. I don't think it's happening anymore, unfortunately, but maybe we can get him on uh, well, as a you, consolation. You, you sent that to me and was all like, oh, you know, you should come. And I was like, oh, like, legitimately, Winnipeg. if I could <laughs> yeah. afford that, I, I would totally come. And then about a week later, I discovered that Jim Carrey was coming to Vancouver. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to go see Jim Carrey instead. <laughs> uh, and that that has also been postponed. They've um, 
put tickets, like I, Mallory and I got tickets to it, but they're like, yeah, we can even have the refund or just we'll keep your tickets on hold when they re-announce it. So we're like, no, I'm, I still want to go. And we also get a free copy of his book for going. So look at me having to read another book. And a DVD copy of The Yes Man. <laughs> hey, that movie's not that bad. Could be freaking yes Eternal, Sunshine. Right. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind would be worse. <laughs> wow. Ben Waterworth just became the first. Bring the boat. He's like, who? No, if, if this was Hannah Stokely, let's rewrite <laughs> Hannah Stokely. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, oh, and dies. <laughs> I just want Bronson to be like, well, I think he got the point. Yeah. <laughs> I always got this, this confused is... with the moment in The World Is Not Enough when they're at the end and they're waving at the boat like, hey, help us. And they're like, hello. <laughs> this is arguably the section of the movie that it's most well known for too like i, I think if you were to find people who remember tomorrow never dies <laughs> they're probably not going to remember the stealth boat they're probably not going to remember you know uh the the opening stuff with the the airplanes and the the weapons and everything but they're going to remember running down the side of the building and they're going to oh, remember yeah. the motorcycle chase I just want to point something out about Michelle Yeoh, and this is no disrespect to her as an actress or a character because I love Waylene, I love I love her as an actress and everything like that, but you talk up Halle Berry kind of having very sounding one-liners and <laughs> the way she talks. And again, this might be just a, a, the fact that English is not her native language, so this is kind of the way she's doing it, she's playing up to it, but got to say, a lot of her lines in this movie do come across as very like, rehearse one line you're you're right it's no different but i think the difference and the problem i had with halle berry is the look on her face she has every time she delivers one of these she she smirks like hey hey like (laughs) everybody laugh that was funny that's what bothers me it that's what the comes from Is this the bit where he's like, you know, oh, I thought reading your newspapers was torture enough or something like that? Yeah. The look that Elliot has. One thing I love always- Stamper here too. Like his record was like 12 hours. I hope to break it. What always makes me laugh here is Carver typing with one hand where he's clearly mashing every key on the keyboard like <laughs> the most unrealistic way ever. It's <laughs> <laughs> not <her> typing. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jonathan Price. What a man. <laughs> I just love that it laughs. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, his little finger like, ah, 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 yeah, uh, you didn't say the magic word. Yeah. <laughs> also, can we talk about Stamper, the fact that he's got his, like, pants halfway up to his boobs? <laughs> and then, like, you talk about seeing Austin Powers and kind of getting it. Look at that random, like, guard in the background just pointing the gun at them. Like, that just is so like an Austin Powers, like, guy in the Edward background. Was, he's actually pointing it at them. <laughs> yeah. What happens if, you know, he's like that um, trigger-happy guard in Goldeneye that Oromov ends up killing? Like, that guy just like, ah, oh, fuck it, shut up, and just shoots Bond. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oopsie. Not again. Jones, <laughs> we talked about this. Damn it, Jones, I was giving my monologue. <laughs> oh, well, let's just get on with that evil plan. I Like, if I ever become evil and, you know, I don't know, just... <laughs> Join Al Qaeda or ISIS or something like that. I'm totally going to be like a Bond villain. Like, you know, it's like, hey, let's kidnap some important diplomat. It's like, okay, we've got them, sir. We're going to behead them. No, 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 no. Let's tell them our evil plan and stretch it out forever. But why, sir? Because 
It seems fun in the movie, so let's do it. <laughs> Did you also love his striped sailor shirt too? <laughs> Seriously, oh. Google Nico Rosberg, a Formula One driver. He looks so much like him. I hope to break it. <laughs> Is that how Jamie like starts coitus with you? Like, here are my toys. <laughs> I hope you last longer than 30 seconds this time. How do you spell this nickel? N-I-C-O and then Rosberg, R-O-S-B-E-R-G. 52 hours. Yeah, I can see it. This guy looks a lot happier than Stamper. <laughs> Not quite as, you know, snuff heavy. Uh. <laughs> I really want to read the novelization. I mean, in all seriousness, like, haha, Ben can't read. But I think I talked <laughs> about this before. Or uh, maybe on this show, or maybe on the Oz Network when we did Star Wars episodes, I I do really want to go back and read all the finally read the Bond books, starting with the Flemings, and then I'd like to read all the the other ones and and the novelizations of the different films, and I would like to read this. I, I think Noah said he had this, but he uh didn't hasn't read it. So I wonder if he's read you know, it since. As many Bond books as I've read, like I've read all the Flemings, I've read a lot of the the Gardeners and um the the recent ones too. Uh, Trigger Mortis and Carte Blanche and everything. I've never actually read one of the novelizations. Uh, mm. And I remember when I was younger, I used to love getting novelizations after seeing a movie because yeah. there would be those little things that were in there. Um, so it, it's strange I've never actually read a Bond novelization. Well, maybe that's our homework. <laughs> Recapping the novelization of Tomorrow Never Dies. This stunt, so good. And it was done for real. Like, I mean, obviously you didn't do it on like a... 50 story building, but like they kind of had a, yeah. what, a three story building. They kind of chopped it and changed it a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh actually did it as well, didn't they? I don't remember that. I mean, you look at the close ups, they're, they're clearly dangling somewhere. Yeah. I love <laughs> Take the elevator. I love it when they smash through the window here and they're just like, all the people are like, oh, and they're just like, Da-da-da-da. and what the hell do they wear in Vietnam with those like secretary? Dressing gowns. This this is the standard uniform. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, oh my god! I would actually, you know what? Now that I look at it, I would actually think that would probably be pretty realistic, just because of the heat and everything. You'd want something that's very loose. <laughs> I can see you walking around in a moo moo, Colin. Like, well, it's like uh, you know, I'm trying to remember which there's there's an Asian country where their version of like a dress shirt or even uh, a suit like they don't have suits it's basically just a really baggy dress shirt that's very like breathable uh no you talk yeah uh yeah i can visualize it can i just point out that i've never i don't know if i've ever realized this maybe i have the bmw it's actually a motorbike as well oh is it bmw make- motorbike nicer than the car and i'm not a bike person i, I couldn't tell you i mean bikes are bikes to me can't even ride if, a real one if we're going to do our rankings for chase scenes ever this is probably in my top five like everything about this the the action the stunts that you get but just the the little subtle detail about the handcuffs on the wrong hands and and her having to straddle them frontwards and backwards you know like all those little things just make this so unique but even if you take the whole handcuff thing out of it this is a spectacular chase scene well, it's funny. I remember Noah talked up a lot in one of our older recaps that motorbikes and Bond aren't really a thing. We don't really have many. Yeah. And this, I mean, I realize we've got uh, Skyfall now, but this is 
clearly pre-Skyfall, this probably the most iconic. I mean, mm-hmm. what do we have? Thunderball kind of had one, didn't it? I mean, I know. Never um, say never again. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that, but does that really count? Um, didn't wasn't there another bike one as well that I'm missing off the top of my head? Well, there's coming up in No Time to Die. Um, oh, that one. That I mean, that shit's all over. How good is No Time to yeah. Die? That's the, uh, now. I, am I mistaken? Now that that's with been the, released. Has has the news broken that that is the opening sequence? Did I read that somewhere? I I didn't read anything about that. I might have seen. I think somewhere we that's... kind of speculated on that. Actually, it was weird. I know I'm kind of on tangent. I was making a point here. This is probably the most iconic, and it's great. I, I don't know about top five. I'd have to think about that. I, in listening to all these episodes, I just want to say I've made many references to this is a top ten, this is a top five, this is a top whatever. <laughs> and then when we come to ranking them, often don't back up my own opinions. So <laughs> I, I'm Pussy not going to say top yeah. five Bond girl. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say this is a top five uh, chase when when it comes to ranking. I'll probably rank this at like 17 or something like that. But um. There was somebody, like a Bond writer, who tweeted out in the last week or so at the time of recording this that they were getting to see No Time to Die. Now, I don't know if they were being legit or not, but apparently they're a pretty respected person. So I don't know if they're leaking this out to certain people, but if they are, <laughs> hi, we're a prominent podcast. Let yeah. us see it. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> We've it's done really weird. episodes already on No Time to Die. <laughs> it's, it's really weird to think about. Like again, we're off topic. They're on a bike chase. Um, although I will say I do love this helicopter jump, even though you can clearly mm-hmm. see the dummies in it when that crashes. Um, that in listening to all our episodes and hearing us speculate, and we kind of joke about like, oh, there's nothing to talk about. Well, again, I think we've done as many No Time to Die episodes now as we did for all of Spectre. But it's weird to think, isn't it, that the longer they hold this off, and it's, I mean, it's obvious to think about why, but that we're so I'm so looking forward to this movie like so yeah. much more now like I always was looking forward to this movie I I think I've said I was probably looking forward to this movie more than I was a Rise of Skywalker but like it's just it's kind of nice that they're delaying it cuz it's just it's making me want to see it so much. And now that I'm in Canada, I can probably see it in IMAX now because oh. there's an IMAX theater in Victoria. I've never been to an IMAX in my life, so there's something I can look forward to and just Holy crap, I want to see this movie. <laughs> like it's just it's it's the oh. gap too because you know you have Rise of Skywalker and then 4 months to get ready for No Time to Die. Yeah. But you know, now oh, it's here's like the sex okay, scene. We, sorry, he's a random nipple girl. I just love the line, pop the clutch. <laughs> she's like coughing and choking. Yeah, she's all right. <laughs> Back to business. <laughs> Yeah, the weight you were talking about, Rise of Skywalker and stuff, I tangent into yeah. you. <laughs> like, you have a four-month wait. You know, that's standard, but it's not necessarily, especially when you have life and everything, it's not necessarily long enough that, you know, your mind's only on the one thing. You know, when yeah. you have now what's going to end up amounting to almost a year in between big, big movies you're excited about, especially coming off of the disappointment of Rise of Skywalker. You know, it's just making us that more excited for No Time to Die. And yeah, there's some things like Wonder Woman and Bill and Ted, you know, that I'm really excited about before then, but nothing at the level of Bond or Star Wars. And I think we talked a lot about this, this year being not a huge year for movies, really. I mean, not to take away, as you said. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly. But even when we sat down and worked out our respective months on the Oz Network, there, there wasn't really anything that kind of stood out, was there? It was, yeah, kind it was of, like Ghostbusters and Top Gun and yeah, Wonder I mean, Woman like, and that's it. It's 
Yeah, just the fact that we still hopefully we'll get a Bond movie in 2020. Yeah. If we don't, then it will officially become the longest gap between them, won't it? Well, actually, no, it would join Goldeneye uh, as six years between them. But, um, gosh, I, I really do hope that once it gets released and everything that they get on to casting a Bond and we don't have to wait another four or five years. I mean, this is another negative against the Craig era. Let's shit on it again. We just have too many years between films. It's not mm. how Bond you use. Stop getting Bond wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, you look at, look, I mean, we're talking about this before with this kind of coming so soon. Brosnan did four films in seven years and Craig has done four Bond films in 14 years. So... <laughs> Five mm. in 14 years if this ever comes out this year. But, I mean, even if you kind of take out some of the gaps, like look at Brosnan's first three films, three films in four years. It yeah, took, and what? then a three-year Craig gap was longest. Six, six years to do three years. Uh, mm. Six years to do three films. So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, again, anybody who is like in the 80s or 90s, oh, back when I was a boy <laughs> or a girl, Connery did one every year. Um, but... Yeah, I, I really hope. And it's funny actually listening to the episodes when we're talking about when will Bond 26 be released? And actually in one of the episodes, one of the Spectre, uh, yeah, Spectre episodes, we joked about how like, oh, there's probably going to be a massive gap and we probably won't get Bond 25 to 2020 at this rate. And well, lo and behold. <laughs> we're well ahead of our time, 007. We kill Bond is actors. A, is this a public shower? Like I thought, okay, this is just a broken pipe somewhere, but there was some other guy who just walked past drying himself off. That's how it is in Vietnam. Yeah, it's showers in the middle of back alley. <laughs> Just these little one lines off the cuff. We might link up. <laughs> Shirtless Brosnan. Yeah. Get Jamie in the room, quick. <laughs> I remember um, our rewatch has still kind of st- stalled. Mallory's finally joined me, but uh, we're still up to man with a golden gun. But I did make Mallory. I did make Mallory watching. You forced her. I tied her down. Open your eyes and watch this movie. Um, we we did watch all the Brosnans and the Craigs uh, a year or so ago. And uh, I remember as soon as she finished watching this, straight away she was like, yeah, I like that better than Goldeneye. <laughs> I was like, really? wow, you're not popular in many circles. Yeah. <laughs> But she also was really bored by the Conneries, wasn't she? Oh, incredibly bored. She like wanted to stab me through Doctor No most of the time. Oh. Uh, Thunderball, yeah, I mean, I'm bored through that one as well. She loved On a Majesty's Secret Service, and she really liked Diamonds Are Forever from memory. But again, she's like she's been writing notes in a phone and ranking them, and she's not going to remember them because like she, she yeah. looks at them and goes, uh, "Oh, you only lived twice. What was that one?" She's like, "Oh, <laughs> has a lot of cat in it." Okay. <laughs> Yeah, this is essentially what they hired Michelle Yo for. All the yas. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but this- it, it shouldn't be lost on people, you know, that this was a big deal. We're only, I think, a year, uh, maybe a year, year, two years removed from Jackie Chan's big North American breakthrough at this point. And, you know, there were martial arts films prior to that, but to have somebody who was doing their own fights and their own stunts, it was so normal in Hong Kong and just you never saw it here. So when they're like, let's get a Bond girl, like um, I've, been, I've been watching a lot of um, uh, old martial arts movies from like the 70s and 80s lately. And uh, I just remember this period of the 90s where after Jackie Chan, it was basically get anything, 
you know, with uh, martial arts in it. So even if it wasn't martial arts, like Chow Young Fat didn't he learned martial arts for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons three years after this. But basically, let's get any Hong Kong action star. So suddenly every second month, you know, uh, you had Jet Li, Jackie Chan, Chow Young Fat, Michelle Yeoh. There was like a new Asian movie star all the time. And now we just don't get that anymore. It was like, you know, Hollywood just forgot that this was a thing and that this was cool. Do you think it will come back though? Because I mean, it was a bit of a explosion so. in the seventies, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like maybe it's a thing where it's just in waves. Uh, the the movie Crazy Rich Asians has finally gotten attention for like Asian actors, but I think it's the, the, the Asian action movies. I think is what I want because I've said it many times. I probably own uh, enough just imported, you know, Hong Kong action movies to fill an entire DVD shelf. Like I'm talking, you know. 50 100 movies half of my collection almost movies that nobody's really ever heard of that's like my big genre and they make great movies even if it's not martial arts just you know cops and guns and action and it's it's so different it's so unique from what we get here it really makes you wonder why there isn't a bigger push and ang lee um i think was the one who brought that up a couple of years ago when there was the whole oscars so white thing it was like you know Great that everybody's jumping on board and saying, let's get some some black actors. But it's like, why are Asians being ignored? <laughs> when was the last time an Asian actor even appeared in a movie, let alone got nominated? Just just quickly before I say something on that, uh, I love that moment when Wayling's walking down the stairs and just kicks the guy down. And then kind of I like this whole sequence, yeah. sort of like the, well, the chi- Chinese people cue. keep coming back. Yeah. Um, I mean, Parasite winning Best Picture surely is going to huge for yeah for now there's a lot forward. of uh, attention for korean movies yeah and i think action movies is what i'm waiting for yeah. um because there were a couple of especially now with the, all the interesting korean movies there's some korean action movies that are starting to get attention you know lots of stuff getting added to netflix now and everything and it, it'll be great if we could get you know a big blockbuster w- with some new movie stars like we had the chai young fats the jet lees the michelle yo's the jackie chans you know get some new people in there are they officially making Rush Hour 4? I think they are, aren't they? I've been hearing about that, yeah. I mean, there was the TV show a couple of years ago that was really bad. Yeah, I watched wow. the pilot of that and I was like, no, yeah. no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love this here. It's like, yeah. okay, I'll send the message. Hmm. I love his look on his face. You type. <laughs> I like the fan when he pulls it out and he's like, ah, oh, like his yeah. reaction, like he's genuinely <laughs> scared. Uh, yeah, when he's... Oh. <laughs> Pierce could handle everything. <laughs> but like you have the bonds like Connery was just cool no matter what. Roger Moore was funny no matter what. It's very much the way that I'd compare a lot of the Batmans, you know. Um, yeah. You have Michael Keaton who brilliant as Bruce Wayne, kind of garbage as Batman. Val Kilmer, brilliant as Batman, kind of garbage as Bruce Wayne. I, I said on our Batman and Robin episode, you know, <laughs> He gets so distracted in this scene. Uh, you know, George Clooney, just sort of adequate at both. Pierce Brosnan was like that guy. He could do a little bit of everything. He was really funny. He was really cool. He was believable in the action, you know, more like Timothy Dalton or Daniel Craig. There you go. I give some credit to Timothy Dalton. Oh, <laughs> um, finally happened. Maybe he wasn't as funny as Roger Moore. Maybe he wasn't as cool as Sean Connery, but he checked all the boxes like you were saying earlier. I just, but I just don't see any faults with Brosnan as Bond. I just really mm-hmm. don't. And this is where it annoys me, where it's kind of like people just talk down on him because his movies were bad. He was never in a good movie or he only had one. Again, I completely disagree with that. Um, And I just, 
I just don't see why people overlook just how good and complete he is as but I think it, Bond. I think it is like what I'm saying that, you know, you're not going to say he's cooler than Sean Connery. You're not going to say he's funnier than Roger Moore. And if you're not better than them in those areas, it's almost it gets ignored that you're good at both. Which Roger is, Moore, not believable, you know, as a cool action star. Sean Connery, yeah. he had funny moments in the way he delivered it, but he wasn't a funny guy. But you're not going to hold fault against Connery because Connery was the coolest Bond ever. You're not going to hold fault against Moore because he was the funniest ever. Pierce can do it both. He's just not as good at either of those things as those other two guys. And it was interesting in that commentary where he kind of said that he went into it basically, you know, taking – Bits of more, bits of yeah. Connery. Um, He's the greatest so, hits of James Bond's before him. Yeah, and, and again, it's just it just it adds to why he's so good. And there was actually an interesting article. I can't remember what website it was on recently, where it was basically why Brosnan's Bond is the Bond we need right now in our current yeah, times. And they, yeah, they went into a whole lot of detail. And it was it was it was fairly well rounded argument. I think kind of it made some good points, but. Um, you know, I think it's it's the same with anything. We've talked about it before. I mean, Roger Moore's kind of had a bit of a renaissance, and this is even before he died. Like, he kind of had a renaissance and people appreciating him a lot more, whereas for a long time he was the, you know, the the black sheep the of the Bond family. People just yeah. were sick of him. We've seen it with Dalton as well since um, since Craig's come about. So, I mean, Brosnan's time will come. There will be yeah. a time, probably in the next decade, where all of a sudden Brosnan's going to be appreciated for what he did for this role because – I mean, you remember at the same time when Brosnan was out, as much as people talk up Craig now, people were doing that for Brosnan at the time of his movies were coming out. People were saying he was the best Bond of all time. People were saying how great Brosnan was as James Bond and how we never want him to leave. Then Craig comes about and Brosnan all of a sudden gets shit all over. Like, you know, he was actually really bad. The films were crap, blah, 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 blah. So I'm wondering if that's going to happen with Craig, whoever replaces Craig. I don't see it happening because Craig... I think has just brought something different, which so many more people have, have appreciated. But I could be wrong. I mean, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have thought that in five years' time, people would be shitting all over Brosnan as Bond, would we? Yeah. Yeah, no, because he wasn't unpopular. He was very popular. He was hugely um, popular. Yeah, and uh, the only thing I think that uh, that hurt him was the age thing, which was almost unfair. Uh, and I, I think we've mentioned it even in recent episodes. You know, when Die Another Day came out, a lot of people were saying he needs to step down because he's almost 50 and they were ignoring the fact that he looked 35 still. Yeah. But it was just that it was that because that was the time period where everybody was down on Roger Moore. It was like, we don't need another Roger Moore. We don't need Brosnan being, you know, a uh, view to a kill uh, in Casino Royale, whatever is going to come out. He'll be, you know, the, the 55 year old man or whatever. Um, <sighs> Brosnan could have pulled off Bond for another 10 years if you want to physically. And I think that's what people ignored at the time. And I think that's kind of where it started was a the negative response to die another day. And then also the fact that he was getting older. Um, But when Daniel Craig was cast, there were still people saying, why can't we get Pierce Brosnan back? 49. He was die another day when that came out. And to put that Mm -hmm. in perspective, Daniel Craig uh, is 52 currently. But if it had been (laughs) released uh, in 2019, as as it was planned, he would have been 51 with no time to die. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, Daniel Craig, I think you would argue, definitely holds his age a lot better. But having said that, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Brosnan. I mean, in the No Time to Die trailer, I think I was the only one who pointed out that Craig's finally showing his age. I think you can definitely, you know, it's catching up with him a bit. But, um, you know. There may be smarter, too, by writing it into his movies, whereas they they didn't address it. But they also didn't need to address it because Pierce did not look 49 and die another day. There's there's one or two scenes in Die Another Day where I think you can tell he's a bit older. Like there's, there's definitely not 
but yeah, for the most part, but, he looks but great. Connery and You Only Live Twice looked in his 50s and he was yeah. in his 30s. <laughs> yeah, Brother never phoned it in like Connery. <laughs> yeah. I love this guy, what was he doing? Like playing Game Boy? This is 1997. <laughs> he grabs him by the hair and is like, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> look at her. That's who you need to find, you imbecile. You're fired. Go sit in the corner and think about what you did. I remember there was a big thing in around this movie because the stealth boat is is like a catamaran. It's very similar to in Tasmania. There's a company called Incat. They build sort of catamaran sort of boats very similar to that. And I don't think Tasmania built that boat, but it's sort of a very similar style. So I think there was a lot of stories in Tasmania questioning like, oh, was the new Bond bo- boat built in Tasmania or something like that? But um, I like I like the idea of a stealth boat. It's kind of cool. Like the stealth yeah. train, the underused in Goldmine, the stealth train was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the stealth boat for me, I think is one of the coolest ideas about this movie. Um, you know, it, it's not just, okay, like they, they work it in a lot more than they do the train, but it's it, this too where he has the guy peeking around the corner. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's it's the whole idea of, okay, well, we don't need to stop the boat from doing it. The boat's not doing anything. The boat's not going to start World War III. It's it's the fact that nobody knows the boat is there, you know? Yeah. This isn't the Lipperus or whatever uh, from The Spy of Love You where it's going to swallow everything whole. Uh, this is just somebody who's there observing, and all you need to do is turn the two warring countries to – see this boat is there and they're like, wait a second, somebody's been playing us. You know, it, it's essentially the same thing that they did in You Only Live Twice in The Spy Who Loved Me. And maybe they didn't pull it off as well in this one, but the idea of it I actually think is stronger than You Only Live Twice in Spy Who Loved Me. Is this the last Bond movie we've had where we have a big battle featuring not just Bond and the villain but like a whole bunch of random soldiers. disposable soldiers and henchmen? Because I know Noah's yeah. an advocate for bringing this back, but World's Enough, no. Die Another Day, no, Casino Royale. I mean, you kind of had a few random people in the floating house, but no. Uh, Quantum, no. Skyfall, sort of. Yeah. No. Uh, and Spectre, no. Z counts. Yeah. <laughs> an so, old man yeah. and an old lady. <laughs> this this would be the last that we've had. I mean, Quantum oh, did Solace. We, did, I was going to say, did we miss Hua, 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 Hua? Oh, no, this is it here. No, that's this right here. <laughs> <laughs> was that you and Noah who hated that? I, I I just I didn't hate it. Um, I don't I don't remember hating it. I I think it is a little bit too silly, maybe slightly racist too. But it's it's kind of funny to see him do it. Why does M have a motorcade? Is she that important that she needs you like know, a mo- motorcade to get I in there? I actually was noticing that earlier, and I was I was thinking how much I liked seeing that because we see it again in Skyfall. Um, but. It's just a little it's a little touch that we get in this one that grounds it more in reality than we get in some of the other Bond movies. And um, she she had such a I mean a small role in Goldeneye, but it's obviously very memorable the way they sort of yeah. set her out. Clearly the world is not enough is gonna be her biggest role until Skyfall. But uh, I mean, how do you sort of compare this to say Die Another Day? I guess that's maybe the only other comparable one because they're kind of she's there, but she's not super important. But I don't know, like she she has a, a prominent enough role. She's kind of more hard ass. I want to stand up to everyone. I'm in fuck you sort of role in this movie, and she kind of gets a bit humanized more in the next one, doesn't she? Yeah, I think I brought up on some episode at some point that 
her role in this is insignificant. Like she does not even need to be in this movie necessarily. But what works about it is seeing the difference in her relationship with Bond that you go from them being like very adversarial in Goldeneye to in this one. It, it, it's not quite this tight relationship, but she trusts them. And, you know, it's like, Bond, I need you to do your job. You know, um, it, it was just it was interesting to see the evolution of their relationship more than anything else. I always th- remember her being a bigger part of this movie. And then whenever I watch the movie, I'm like, she's really only got two scenes and they're not even that big of a deal. But it's just it's it's a different twist they put on the scenes between her and Pierce. I love Robinson. I do. Um, and I love Tanner. But it's kind of odd that they sort of have both characters and then all of a sudden the next movie, they just have them both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess I, I don't know if they, they legitimately had Robinson for, like, a diversity. So I don't know. Like, but why couldn't you just have Tanner as being black? Like, you literally could have just recast Tanner and, like, here he is, but he's black now. Well, um, Michael Kitchen, who uh, was in the GoldenEye, I think he was a much bigger deal. I don't think it would be that unrealistic if he just simply wasn't available for this movie. I guess but it's you also the wonder case. If, if he was, you know... Uh, would that have been a much bigger role because yeah. he is Michael Kitchen. He is, you know, fairly recognizable. We need to do a ranking the tenors. I mean, there's only been what? How many tenors <laughs> have we had? Three, four? Um, well, technically there was a character in the 80s that was Tanner, but they didn't call him Tanner. They they call him by his title or whatever. Tanner on the Tins. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll just include Robinson as the Tanners. <laughs> Black Tanner. Yeah. It's like when they did that um, 24 reboot, that terrible one, and they just was like, that's Black Jack Bow, Black Jack. That's what they yeah. called him, basically. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think, though, at, at the point of Goldeneye, was Michael Kitchen a big deal? I have no clue. I'm not a member of his fan club anymore. <laughs> split up. No, because the TV show, well, you, you, you've never seen the TV show he does, the Foils War show? I have not. I've heard of it. I think my mum used to okay. watch it. Yeah, I think that might have actually come after this, so maybe not. That is lovely. <laughs> Shoots Cooped. <laughs> I love the look on Cooped's face. <laughs> I, no, it's, it's Pierce here where he's he's like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's just so cocky <laughs> and arrogant. The little mannerisms Pierce has are just so much fun. He has the confidence of Bond. Yeah. I think that's what, for me, if I were to really boil down outside of just the lack of humor, um, if I were really boiled down what didn't work about um, Timothy Dalton, it's just his confidence seems forced. I think with Bond, it has to be just a natural confidence. And I don't even know if Daniel Craig had that right away. I don't think he does. Arguably in Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, it's supposed to be an artificial confidence. That's part of the point of the character but um yeah like with with even lazenby i think you bought it a little bit more the, the confidence of him than you do with uh dalton but brazen totally has that yeah i agree and i mean you play the title please kill that <laughs> bastard um yeah i 
I think that kind of Craig doesn't. I mean, he's he's getting better, and again, that's you could argue that's the development of the character because you know he's starting afresh with it anyway, which is again going to be super interesting with no time to die if he kind of has that more. I mean, in the trailer, you've got that great little moment when he walks in and it's like, "Oh, Q, I've missed you," like kind of mm-hmm. little moments like that, which feel natural and a bit charismatic, and kind of I think that's what it also comes down to is is the charisma of the character as well. And yeah, like I, I defend Dalton. I like Dalton. I think he's got more charisma than you might think, but I also agree with you that he doesn't have it as much as like a Brosnan, you know, that naturalness about it. You know, there is definitely mm-hmm. some moments where it kind of does feel a bit forced. I see that. And I think Craig has that problem too. I've always said that about Craig. Craig is not a charismatic bond. Craig is just a more sort of strict wooden bond to beds people. Cause he's got a perfectly shaped abs set <laughs> that you can grate cheese on. You know, there's there, that comes down to the suave nature of this character that they don't just rely on their looks or the fact that they do this. Like there's got to be a suave nature to mm-hmm. them doing that. And this here where the boats just suddenly turn, they're like, Oh, wait, somebody else is in the water. Yeah, I don't know if they completely got in this movie. Do they investigate that boat? Like, wait, there's another boat there. Yeah, it could be anything. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> the a- 7 o'clock from Hong Kong to Vietnam. Don't blow it up. Yeah, this is just, you know, Kaufman's yacht or something. <laughs> and also, let's throw back to classic Bonds. We have the classic countback. Ten minutes and counting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you think that visually a stealth boat at night getting shot at maybe also not the most exciting thing to watch? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I think that is a bit of a detractor about this, but I still like kind of the internal action stuff yeah, here. Inside stuff's great, um, but especially yeah, no, with right. like the drill. Visually, it doesn't look that great with a black boat and a black sea at black night, <laughs> like moving it's not, slowly, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, all this other stuff's great. I also love Carver's death. I know I'm jumping ahead, but it's just, it's and a brilliant why, why, yeah, both of them. Why does they add a yeah, yeah from Michelle Yeoh every five <laughs> We're seconds? We're doing it. Yeah. Uh, where did you rank Waylon again? Uh, I had her at eighth. You guys had her eight? at seventh, okay. I believe. So she was probably we one talked the about that in the episode, stuff. I think, where it's kind of like she doesn't. Like, she's not hated, but, like, again, it's just like this movie. She kind of gets forgotten about in sort of mm-hmm. how great she is. And, you know, we talked about Anya possibly getting a spin-off or returning, you know, after the spy Love Me, but here we have Wei Lin was the real first one, wasn't she? Yeah. That she was the the, the huge talk about her coming back uh, or doing a spin-off. And, of course, Peaceful Fountains of Desire in um, was supposed to in be her. Dinah, that was meant to be her. Yeah, so like they were they were going to bring her back, and they just couldn't get her. They couldn't get Michelle Yeoh to return in Dinah. That I think from what I've read, she was keen to do it. It just it just didn't work. And say what you will about Dinah the day, I mean that would be a memorable little appearance. Like just imagine, oh, yeah. loved that's it. it. You know, and like these are these little things that we've kind of heard about with Anya possibly returning and kind of these characters. I mean that would be cool. Like we we talk up about how it's cool to see uh, you know Zukowski return and and uh, Wade return and things like that. But I mean have a Bond girl return like that. Like I. I really want Monica Bellucci to return in in a Craig film. Mm. We've only got one left. She might. I don't know. But, I mean, when you leave them so open-ended that they can come back, it's kind of – it would be exciting to see them come back, even if it is just for a brief little, hello, I'm Waylin, here's your mission. And they wanted to do that with Sylvia Trench. Yeah. And they only got the two movies in, but uh, 
you know, I was thinking, I think we even made, started making preliminary lists for secondary Bond girls rankings. Uh, and to me, I think that's one of the biggest disappointments that we didn't get a Sylvia Trench that would just pop up, maybe even not in every movie, just every once in a while. That was Bond's, you know, uh, semi-regular girlfriend, but she always understood he's going to go Fuck off and funny. sleep with somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's something that I think that they they could do, not necessarily, I don't think it would necessarily work with a main Bond girl. Having Anya come back would have been a cool little cameo, but you would be questioning, well, why isn't she with Bond? With Waylon, I don't think you would, because you never really see Waylon and Bond develop much of a connection, a little bit of a physical connection, but it's mostly just let's work together. But I think having a Monica Bellucci, a secondary Bond girl that could reappear, you know, that that would be a great idea. I think they still should do it. Which is going to be interesting about Madeline, how they're bringing her back. Yeah. Clearly she's dying in the first five minutes. I think we all agree. <laughs> Pretty early in the movie, yeah. Is that Simon Pegg? I don't think so. Which one? It looks like him. One of the Admiral guys sitting on the the deck. <laughs> that totally looks like it. Simon Pegg. <laughs> Simon Pegg, tomorrow never dies. Oh, we, we should mention Gerard Butler uh, was in this movie. He was one of the Devonshire uh, people at the very beginning. So I just want to say he is not in Tomorrow Never Dies, but if you start typing Simon Pegg T-O-M in Google, it immediately fills out Simon Pegg Tomorrow Never Dies. So there's a lot of people who are wondering that. <laughs> it, it does look like him, but yeah, that, that's I forgot. I think I'd read that Gerard Butler was in this movie. Um, but yeah, Wait, you said Simon Pegg or Gerard Butler? No, Gerard Butler. He was one of the the seamen, <laughs> seamen at the <laughs> beginning of this film uh, on the Devonshire. Oh, was he? We didn't yeah. even talk about the beginning. We should have. Wasn't that? Um, what did we do? Uh, oh, it was View to a Kill. That um, Dolph Lundgren was one of the people in the background mm. as well. Yeah. Look at that, James Bond making stars out of people before. And funnily enough, Gerard Butler was always in talks, wasn't he, to be a bomb yeah. in the conversation? Yeah, I remember that that time period. It was like Colin Firth. Um, not Colin Firth. Uh, Colin. Who's the guy? Clive Owen. Oh, <laughs> Colin Matthew Firth Perry. is Bond. Oh, that would be bad. Yeah. Okay, Colin Clive Firth Owen. is Bond. Better than Gerard Butler. Yeah. <laughs> Gerard Butler um, would be a horrible Bond. But but honestly, at the time when it was like Clive Owen or Gerard Butler, I remember thinking, please let it be Gerard Butler between those two. Because like oh, Clive no. Owen is another one of these guys. It's just there's no humor to him. Clive Owen's uh, suave and looks the part, but action-wise, I couldn't see it. And and humor, he would never be able to pull it off. Whereas I think Gerard Butler could totally pull off the oh. humor. Pull off the ugh. Make him <laughs> a henchman. What well, Gerard? Uh, Gerard Butler. He can't again, lead I, a I movie. Love the idea he of Gerard can't Butler's. lead a movie. He doesn't. He can't hold a movie on his own. We well, talked about this recently. Emmy Rossum held that movie. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mini this this drill too. Uh, I love this because I'm breaking <laughs> yeah. news for you. Such a brutal death. It is. But he can totally move out of the way here. He's still got time to duck. And is there any realistic way that Pierce can hold him there and not kill himself? Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if it's that close that so he can't duck, like, he can totally duck by the time he lets go of him. Yeah, that's and the Austin the blood? Where's, like, the uh, eyeballs and nose? And, and, like, he's just being drilled <laughs> up and chopped to bits. Well, 
what's his name got thrown into a printing press and there's blood spraying everywhere. He gets chopped apart by a drill and there's nothing. I do like the little subtle moments with Stamper, though, where clearly, I mean, I don't know if it was written in the script or it was in the novelization about this whole not feeling pain thing, but they still obviously keep elements to that because, <laughs> you know, he got shot before or stabbed before and now he's about to get his, like, foot stamped yeah. stamper and he stamper. kind of just doesn't blink like but in a way though i think this kind of when you know renard can't feel pain it's kind of okay sure he can't feel pain fair enough whereas this i think not knowing or like even if it's just implied it makes him more of a badass doesn't it because it's kind of like haha you've stabbed me but i'm like grr i'm tough i'm <laughs> not gonna flinch you know to me that that makes him tougher so i'm kind of glad that if they've tried to sort of keep it in the script that this is a character trait of his i like the fact that it's not mentioned or it's something that isn't implied more so than him just yeah. looking tough and they get a good fight scene here too I love, I love him for Carver. For uh, for was it Kaufman? <laughs> like all the ways, like dropping the names of these people. For me, no James, <laughs> <laughs> no Stamper. For me, that actually be funny. It's like for Kaufman, for Carver, for yeah. England, it's for like, wait, England. <laughs> I owe you an unpleasant death, Mister Bond. Great line. Yeah, just the way he looks here. It's it's like. Pure evil, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> I almost want to rank Stamper a bit higher now. Like, uh, I feel like we, it really is true. We got so into the mythology of what didn't make the movie for Stamper that that you do look at the movie. You're like, well, it doesn't quite live up to it. But now that I'm watching this, I'm like, yeah, maybe. I w- what did I rank just like a spot or two higher than Stamper? Um, yep. I think I closed that, but cool. Let's pull it up again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it was like. Uh, this is where we need to play some like music or something like that. But um, let's we check can't in with Pierce. It. Pierce, Pierce, what's going uh, on we, in the movie right now? We, uh, am I, okay, hang on. What was that ding sound? There we go. Thanks, Pierce. Oh, um, thank you, Pierce. Yep, there was a ding sound, uh, beeping or whatever <laughs> it was. Uh, <laughs> sorry if we just delayed your movie watching people at home. Um, <laughs> But you don't have to drop our audio. Just play it over top. Oh, you make things so difficult. Editing this. <laughs> um, Stamper, you Stamper, uh, you put at 12, you put Fiona, Vol, Fiona, Fiona Volpe at 11, Baron Samity at 10, Winton Kid at 9, Zow at 8. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, that's tough between him and Fiona Volpe. I'd put it. Well, I'd almost his swap leg getting slowly burnt. <laughs> I've got Teehee at ten. I'd almost swap him with Teehee. I'd put him at ten. Sorry, Teehee, you're still great. This, this music right here, as they're in oh, the water, is so good. Do you think this was cashing in on Titanic <laughs> underwater? Yeah. Kiss. Released the same day. <laughs> yeah, we'll compete with you. Did we classify them as hooking up at the end of this movie? I don't think we did. I think we did. Because they're delaying the people picking them up, you know? Uh, we don't really go over the Hall of Fame that much when we do these movies, but um, so we had Kaufman interrogation, the remote control car chase in park, and the motorcycle chase. I mean, three obvious ones there, I think. Yeah. If you had to throw in a fourth, what would you choose? Uh, the assistant getting fired. <laughs> maybe the opening sequence. Seriously, maybe the opening sequence. I do like this, like, is believe he committed suicide. 
Does Money Penny write media releases? She's a secretary. Yeah. Not a media <laughs> advisor. Well, she's also a field agent. <laughs> she's everything. Yeah. <laughs> Even with short hair, she can do it all. I love the little smirks they share with each other. Probably the only thing they're sharing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's well, we know we know what uh, M does with Bond. I mean, when Bond's indisposed, Money Pennies, you know, <laughs> the random slow mo. We we talk a lot down yeah, on not good. Die another day for it. Yeah, I don't like rant. Slow mo is just something you've got to use correctly, and it's not used correctly there. See, they totally hook up right here. This is the last time that we have a random song at the end of the credits, isn't it? Like uh, a like an, an alternate, alternate song, song yeah. Because I, I thought they had one in the world and off. There's one in the soundtrack, but they never ended up putting it on the, yeah. the credits. But this song, and, like, oh, I, oh, and the first one we should first one released after oh, Cubby Rock too. Rip Cubby. But seriously, I, I really, I'm sure that somebody's done out there. I want to see the opening credits with this song because I, I believe this should have been the theme song. And look, I'm torn because I like this, and I think this would have made a great opening song. And Katie Lang. Weirdly fits a James Bond singer. I think she would have been great. But, yeah, I mean, I still obviously love Tomorrow Never Dies a lot, but this would have been a great a great song. Well, it is a great song. It would have been a great It would have been a great <laughs> Just like she used to be Canadian, it would have been a great song. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Katie Lang? I haven't heard from her in a while. Is she okay? You know, even in Canada, I don't think she's a big deal anymore. I remember she, like, she was always sort of a big deal in Australia. But I remember after the Vancouver Olympics when she did Hallelujah, like, God, everyone was obsessed with her. They had her on, like, talk shows in Australia all the time. Like, wow, you really sang Hallelujah well, Katie Lang. It's like she got all big again just because she did a cover of a song at an opening ceremony. She's an actress too. (laughs) Good for her. Uh, I, I, I will say, though, if you look on her filmography, she's primarily playing herself uh, with the exception of uh, the Last Dawn miniseries. She played Dita Tommy, and oh, yeah. in The Black Dahlia, she played lesbian bar singer. <laughs> that would have been a stretch for her. Yeah. <laughs> she really um, would have had to go out of her comfort zone to play that role. She hasn't released an album. This is why she's not a big deal. She hasn't released an album in 12 years. She'd have to be 50s or 60s, wouldn't she? I think she came out in the early 90s. So, yeah, she's 50. I think she also came no, out probably a lot 59. long before that. Yeah, 58, 59. She came out before that. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> Glad you finally caught on to that. I was like, wow, that's an awkward <laughs> moment. That was a good joke. That was, that was right. right off the meat of the bat. That was that was smooth hit. So we got to do a draw for the next movie, but we're, we're, we're going to keep up with the bonus episodes, I'm thinking, right? Well, I mean, any final thoughts on Tomorrow Never Dies first? I think we usually do that while the credits are on, don't we? <laughs> yeah. I think this is the movie. The reason that I I will always default to putting this kind of around the middle is it's not like to me like, oh, this is a middle movie. I always enjoy it more than I remember. Um, and I think I reached a point where I'm like, there's at least two Bond movies that for whatever reason – I think I should like less, and then every time I watch them, I like more, and that's Octopussy and this. Uh, so these two movies always sort of grouped in for me as like they're like the top level of the average Bond movies. Yeah, I'd go there. I mean, I think I rank this a little bit higher than that. I mean, God, I definitely rank it higher than Octopussy. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you say. I mean, Octopussy is the quintessential middle nothing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're Rossi. 
But, um, <laughs> sorry, Rocky. 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 <laughs> yeah, forgot his new name. Um, but yeah, no, I I love this movie. I love all Bros. I just love Brosnan. Brosnan could remake Moonraker, and I'd like it. Um, yeah, so we're gonna do our next episode. Will be Man from Hong Kong. Yeah, because Lazenby's next. So that will be, and, and we're we're sort of, I think, getting a little bit better with our scheduling. We used to do one a month. I think now we've done like three episodes in six weeks, so kind of every two weeks. We might try and stick mm-hmm. to that. So that will come up next. Uh, but we will draw a commentary right now, though, uh, just for the fact that we need to know our next one. We'll alternate between the commentaries and the um, the recaps of our generic, well, of our Bond actors, I should say. So I believe we've got nine left, nine commentaries Does to do. Does that include Spectre? That includes Spectre. Do you want? Well, if I see the number Spectre, twenty-four, we're going to hold off on. Okay. Well, well, let's let's do this. We'll probably get the number twenty-four right now. So I'm going to press <laughs> this button as always. Andrew Hedges name forward slash experiments forward slash random. We should get Andrew Hedges on the show. See what he's let's up to. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> What's your favorite Bond movie, Andrew uh, Hedges? Now let's press get random. The number we come up with is number ten. The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay, oh. I'm down. Yes, absolutely. Again, yeah. we haven't done the commentary on that. No, we you I don't. Think, do you remember what we've done? <laughs> well, we we started doing commentaries what four years ago, uh, <laughs> but um, I think it's because we do the rankings and Spy Who Loved Me always ranks at the top. So we spent mm. so much time even recently talking about this movie. But I mean, you can never turn down the Spy Who Loved Me. To, to clarify, so outside of the Spy Who Loved Me, the ones that we haven't done, and this is also for people playing at home from Russia with Love, You Only Live Twice, Moonraker. For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, License to Kill, and Quantum of Solace, and Spectre. They are the ones we have not done. You know, we don't have that many Craigs to choose from, and we haven't gotten Quantum. That's weird. It's weird. And also, like, a lot of these movies are kind of the bottom of the barrel in terms of what hmm. we all personally like. Obviously, I do not like Quantum of Solace. I do not like Moonraker. You do not like License to Kill. Um, you Only Live Twice. You Only Live Twice. Uh, we both love From Russia with Love. Fear Eyes Only is is good. Octopussy. I love Fear Eyes Only. Is there? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's a nice eclectic. Maybe we'll try and get Noel back as if he's back to his yeah. normal life now. It doesn't associate with us. He did his two episodes for the it's decade. It's not like he's and, dating. What does he do with his time? No, God, no. Get a date. You loser. <laughs> no, don't um, get a date because then you'll have even less time for us. Uh, well, I mean, or you know what? If he does get a, a date. He'll be like us. You know, I'm married, you're engaged, and we spend yeah. all of our time recording Bond episodes together. <laughs> I know. It's like you find a relationship, you're avoiding them, so you actually yeah. find more time. So, no, no, no get, get married. Have children. <laughs> Have twins. Move to another country. Again. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. In the meantime, if you want to hear all the other episodes, 007.wordpress.com. We can't splurge for a proper domain name because we're cheap. Um, we are planning on getting Patreon up soon. We've been saying that now for a couple of months and hasn't happened yet, but hey, cool, we might do it soon. And like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, leave us some feedback. We appreciate all the feedback that we don't get, so thanks for that. <laughs> and we will be back for the... Ma- this is why we don't get any, because I'm always just ripping shit into our listener. Um, thanks, Bringrove. We appreciate it. <laughs> so we haven't heard from you in a while, Bringrove. What's happened to you? Are you dating Noah? Is this this what we're finding out? Um, Anyway, we'll be back soon with the dogs. (laughs) 
<laughs> just close the episode. My name is Ben, and you're fired. Get out of my sight. And my name is Colin, and I used to be Canadian. Do you need collision coverage? Yes. Fire? Probably. Property destruction? Definitely. Personal injury? I hope not. Accidents do happen. They frequently do with you. Tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? The distance between insanity and genius is measured only by success. Where are you? I'm just up here at Oxford, brushing up on a little Danish. You always wear a cunning linguist, James. Sometimes I don't think you have the balls for this job. Perhaps. The advantage is I don't have to think with them all the time. Your new telephone. Talk here, listen here. So that's what I've been doing wrong all these years. You were pretty good with that hook. It comes from growing up in a rough neighborhood. You were pretty good on the bike. That comes from not growing up at all. Are we ready to release our new software? As requested, it's full of bugs. People will be forced to upgrade for years. Introducing Windows Vista. All you have to do is press start. Call the president. Tell him if he doesn't sign the bill lowering the cable rates, we'll release the video of him with the cheerleader in the Chicago motel. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Don't ask. Don't tell. Stop getting in my ear, yeah? Caesar had his legions, Napoleon had his armies. I have TV, news, magazines. Was it something I said? How about the words, I'll be right back? Pump her for information. You'll just have to decide how much pumping is needed, James. You forgot the first rule of mass media. Give the people what they want. I owe you an unpleasant death, Mr. Bond. For Carver and Kaufman! I would have thought watching your TV shows was torture enough. But every now and then, you get to work with the decadent agent of a corrupt Western power. They say communists don't know how to have fun. They can't get into the car. Or you can't be serious. Did you call the auto club? It's very embarrassing. I feel like an idiot. I don't know what to say. Very novel.